listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the GGTMCs, episode 103. Uh, it's really weird because I save all these files to my computer for whatever episode they're on and stuff, and now I'm typing in these 100s and stuff, and it, every, my, I'm getting confused on my own filing system. So, <laughs> And if you know me personally, and Will does, and several other people do, my filing system is very bizarre anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, now I'm even confusing myself. So there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, we are back. We got uh, a couple of interesting movies to talk about, I would say. Um uh, let me see. Making County Line from 1974. And uh, what fucking year is Kickbox Terminator from Capital Punishment? It's got to be early. 1991. Oh, uh, yeah. That was, the, again, the year I graduated high school. Not a good year for cinema, I don't think. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that is our films we are covering today. Uh, I guess we'll get into... Is there anything you want to talk about here at the beginning uh, at all? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, first week back, I get... Well, it's a night recording, so this may be a little bit... Uh, yeah. Bizarre and, and uh, blue at times, so apologies for that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, but I just want to thank everyone, uh, of course, for the uh, and you, Sammy, of course, um, for you know all of the uh, the well wishes uh, and feeling the love, feeling the love here in Canada for our our uh, son Braden. So it's yes. um, less sleep but more love. So you know that's just the way it goes. Yeah. But yeah, thank, thanks everyone. I mean, again, it's just really, really great, great, great. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Everybody's very. Very supportive of the uh, the GGTMC's uh, what is it reproductive ability? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're very reproductive over here at the GGTMC. <laughs> I, I'm done being reproductive though. Okay, two is, uh, two, two two's, is two's the limit, huh? Yeah, I'm tapping out. We, we talked about this before, my wife and I though, and you know, hey, everyone's different, but yeah, two is definitely what I think we can handle. So <laughs> yeah, uh, understood, understood. <laughs> Understood completely. I've, I've, I'm laughing because I've been we've been having that conversation. So we'll see what ends up happening on this end. Oh yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, other than that, I don't really have anything here to talk about in the beginning of the show. Uh, so I guess we can get into what we've been watching. Well, I got two weeks worth of stuff, and you know, I got to say I'm pretty proud of myself that I got in as much as I did, um, despite. Yeah, you got in a life. lot. It's a shame because there's some stuff I'd like to really talk about, but I won't. Because I can't due to time constraints, but right. I'll run through it as quick as I can. Um, you know, as you'll hear me talk about over the course probably the next year or so, when the TIFF Bell Light Box was open, they had their 100 Greatest Films as voted on by critics, uh, people in the industry, and fans of film. Yeah. And uh, they made a list that was a melding of all three categories. Um, so they had them ranked. I have the list. Trying to see as much of them as I can. So there's some of them in here. And, and some of them are for their importance to film. Some of them just for being out and out great films. So uh, the first one was uh, that I watched was Arrival of a Train uh, at uh, Le Chiotal, I believe it is. Uh, which is that one where the, the train comes at the screen. It's only a minute long. Uh, and I guess when they first screened this film, everyone was running out of the theater. thinking a train was going to hit them. Which sounds absurd now. But yeah, yeah. take yourself back to 1890 and it might melt your brain a little bit. So, uh, you gotta, yeah, you got to look at that in perspective. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it's over 100 years ago. Then I watched one of the first science fiction films ever, uh, uh, Le Voyage dans la Lune, which um, most people have seen through the eyes of the Smashing Pumpkins when they did the video. I think it's Tonight Tonight. Yes, Is yes. a take on that? Yeah, I think so. Um, then I watched a documentary that you had recommended to me. A lot of people in our community have seen that might very well be on my best, uh, my top 10 of the year. If not, it'll definitely be an honorable mention. That's Exit Through the Gift Shop, the um, uh, yes. The uh, documentary or faux documentary or commentary, whatever you want to call it, by Banksy. Uh, uh, really, really good stuff that I think uh, works on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, yep. Letters to Julia. I uh, <laughs> had to give some to get some. And, you know, like I said to you, our boys uh, Franco and, and Fabio were in it. So <laughs> I had to, I watched it with my in-laws. And truth be told, even if it's it's not them, as far as chick flicks, you can do worse, uh, only because you get to see a lot of Northern Italy countryside and you know, it's, uh, it can do worse. Right. Um, La Jetée, which is another uh, French film. It's, it's mostly uh, still photography with uh, a narration. Um, really big influence, clearly, on Terry Gilliam with 12 Monkeys, I think. Uh, Proyas with uh, Dark City and um, a lot of other filmmakers that, that popped into my head at the time. So, interesting. Uh, I decided to revisit The Limey because it was on Instant Watch. And I love being able to say Instant Watch now. Yeah. Um, Pretty good film. Uh, ironically, it was on cable the next night or like the next <laughs> week, so I thought that was kind of amusing. But um, no, I liked it more this time. I think it was really cool too that um, at the time I wouldn't have appreciated it. But Soderbergh casts, of course, Peter Fonda, who puts in one of his better performances, mm -hmm. and also uh, I believe it's Barry Newman uh, from Vanishing Point, which you know was very cool. And I think oh, also he's got what's his name in it, uh, Joe D'Alessandro. So he's got yeah. some cool '70s guys in there. So yeah. kudos to him for that. Um, uh, a film I, I think. I'm going to cover on the show with you when it comes on a DVD or do a bonus episode for it because I absolutely adored it. I think it's one of the best American crime films uh, in a long time, and that's The Town, Ben Affleck. Um, really, really love this film. I went to see it in the theater, um, and I'm glad I did, man. Just a fantastic film. This guy really has found his mark as a filmmaker, so mm -hmm. um, you know, I think everyone should go out and support it. Um, watched a Shallow Delirium. This was actually the first one I watched after Braden was born. It's, uh, you know, pretty interesting. Actually, no, Breeders was the first one I watched, uh, which I think you've probably seen, being a fan of trashy 80s uh, horror. Yeah, I think I have seen that. I can't remember exactly, but it sounds very familiar to me. It's where this alien's going around raping these women. <laughs> and then at the end, all the women are, like, hypnotized in this, this like, cauldron of alien semen, and they're all hypnotized. Yeah, it sounds like something I watch all the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, pretty, it's okay, you know, fun little time. Uh, Delirium, which is a shallow, uh, pretty interesting. Um, who did that? Who did that one? Oh gosh, um, wasn't one of the wasn't one of the regulars or somebody we talked about? It, no, and it wasn't the Lumberto Bavo one. Delirium, oh, photos okay. of Joya. It's that's, not that. That's, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, that's the one I have on DVD, and it's got the quote unquote Italian Dolly Parton, and you can probably <laughs> gather why she's <laughs> <Yeah>. called that. <laughs> Um, I got into some Kinji Fukusaku with Sunny T, but pretty middle of the road, triple cross. It's it's not very good. Mm -hmm. uh, graphic sexual, sexual Horror, which was a documentary about um, uh, a pretty notorious SNM website. Um, I thought it was pretty solid all in all. Uh, Johnny Guitar, another Tiff Lightbox one, and Nicholas Ray. Um, I'd said to Chris, I think off the air, I think this is almost like the grandfather of... Um, Mike doing uh, Sukiyaki Western Django because it really, to me, is more an exercise in subverting Western genre conventions and iconography as opposed to yeah. being a great film. Not to say it's not a good film, but I think it's more important 
for what it was subverting uh, than what it actually is yeah. in terms of quality. It's one of those films that uh, yeah, it's well, it's kind of like that, similar to that first thing you were talking about. It's kind of you kind of got to put yourself in that place and time for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you absolutely do. A really colorful film. That was the thing that kind of compelled me that it kept doing these comic book colors and. Yeah. And everything else, and you know, Sterling Hayden's always great. So there's there's a lot of subversion in that film. If we were to review it, we could talk about that one for hours. I think because oh. there's there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. There's a lot going on, and uh, yeah, you really have to kind of. I wish I had have seen even more early westerns like Raoul Welsh. I think it, it was a Raoul Walsh, uh, yeah, yeah, Walsh and Bud Boddick. I want to see more people like that so I could really you know uh, assess Johnny Guitar. But um, then I watched Bloody Parrot, which uh, a good friend of the show Jay sent me, which is one of the most batshit insane films I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was one of those sleazy Shaw Brothers ones. I can't. I, we'll we'll cover it sometime, man. There's like a frisbee made of a man's face that's used as a weapon. Um, I'm down. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are down. Trust me. Uh, Animal Kingdom, which was an Aussie crime film with Guy Pearce. I had really high hopes for this one. Um, it was probably on my ten most anticipated for the year, and I have to say, I thought it was good, but not great. Mm-hmm. I didn't see quite what the fuss was. Um, Night and Day, which is one of the worst films I've seen all year. I hated it. I hated it. It was Tommy Girl prancing around as, you know, playing dress up as a spy. He's got a few shirtless scenes and, you know, it's just, I hated it, man, so much. Yep. Um, wow, I've watched a lot of stuff, man. I'm trying to go as quick as I can here. Uh, the Friends of Eddie Coyle was next. I've since bought the Criterion and I've called you and trying to tell everyone that'll listen that this film deserves to be bought by everyone who listens to our show. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarantino clearly loves it because one of the main characters from it, Jackie Brown, uh, obviously was where he got the name for uh, the Rum Punch adaptation. Fantastic crime film. Uh, the town was heavily influenced by it. Uh, clearly, um, really, really great film. I watched a great documentary, Crips and Bloods, Made in America, mm-hmm. which um, Stacey Peralta did. And I think Stacey Peralta is becoming a pretty pretty serviceable director uh, as far as documentaries go. And I think he does a good job with a really large, large... Um, Subject. Uh, he tries to get into some of the the history of, of why, as opposed to just the sensationalism of the numbers of, of gangs and drugs. And he talks about you know African American history from the 30s and 40s and wartime and and how it impacted things right down the line. So I thought it was a pretty good documentary and an admirable attempt right. at, at putting as much stuff into 90 minutes as he could. Mm-hmm. Um, Oily Maniac, which uh, <laughs> again another sleazy Shaw Brothers film. This has to be where Lloyd Kaufman <laughs> got the. Uh, the uh, inspiration for Toxic Avenger. I think that kind of sums it up. It's pretty good. Um, then I watched A-Team, the uh, Joe Carnahan one. Um, the film itself isn't great, uh, but I did think that everyone, with the exception of Rampage, was really good, um, especially Charteau Copley. Uh, and as much as I hate Bradley Cooper, he he was pretty good. Uh, Neeson's Neeson, quite good. Uh, now, here's the one, the last film on my list. Um, it's uh, Piranha, the, the Alexander Aja one from this year. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely didn't like it as much as you did. Mm. Uh, I, I would say it's not even my favorite 3D horror remake. Wow. I wow. definitely prefer the My Bloody Valentine remake see, to this. See, people see people say we always agree and everything else, and here I am talking about it. I could probably be on my top ten of the year. I'll tell you this. I give it a six and a half. Yeah, I'd probably give it like a nine. It drags ass too much for me, and then once it gets where it's going, there's a few good things, but... The stuff with Jerry O'Connell, like the last couple lines he uttered, I just, oh, it just, it was just too much, man. It was just too much for me. But you know, I think it's worth everyone seeing just to kind of pop in and and watch. You know, yeah. it's 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 a rompy film, but it just dragged a little too much ass for the first sixty minutes for me. So. I thought uh, I thought I thought it moved along actually really quickly, and I thought Aja's comments on American culture were spot on actually. 
Mm. That's why I liked it so yeah. much, I think. So for French, yeah. A Frenchman doing American, it's kind of like a, it almost seems like a comment on how ridiculous America actually is. Yeah, I guess if you look at it that way, I think, I think that's, I think he's good enough to do that. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think that that certainly gives it an interesting light that maybe I didn't look at it in. Um, I just hope Aja gets back and making original films now. He hasn't done a, a fresh film and how many, I mean, back to back to back remakes. He needs to get back to original horror uh, because yeah. he is one of the uh, leading lights in the genre. So. Yeah, I would hope that he does, uh, but I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything what he's doing next. I haven't heard anything. No, me neither, actually. Yep. All right. All right, is that everything? That is everything, man. Nice. All right. All right, so uh, me, I didn't watch a whole lot. I was pretty busy. I uh, had a vacation week, but as usual, my vacation weeks <laughs> turn into a lot more work than when I'm actually at work, so that's the way that goes. I did watch uh, uh, Teenage Paparazzo. Uh, this is a film by that guy that's on Entourage. I don't know his name. Uh, Adrian Grenier. Yeah, Grenier. Yeah, that's him. Guy that grows a beard in like two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shaves and like literally, he's got a beard. Like right after he gets done, it's like ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just you know him kind of talking about paparazzi and celebrity and stuff. Pretty interesting, you know, because he kind of goes into you know how they get on his nerves, and yet you know he understands that he he couldn't he wouldn't exist without them. And uh, you know, it, it's it really kind of it's not what you would think. It's not like a star just trying to. And he's actually turned into a little bit of a filmmaker. He has another film where he tries to hunt down his dad, I think, and see where his, how his life ended up like it did, which was pretty good, too. Uh, Deep Star 6, which is just, a, you know, <laughs> a silly underwater alien ripoff, basically. There's a lot less monster in Deep Star 6 than I recall. I remember, I, I remember seeing it in theater when I was younger, and I remember thinking, God, there's a lot of monster in that movie. I'm going to watch that movie, and there's not as much monster as I thought. So, interesting to go back and look at that. Uh, had to rewatch a Kung Fu Panda. I don't know why it was just around, and I was kind of bored. And needed something light in the background, so I put it on. Still like it quite a bit. Yeah, I good. remember when you saw it, you were telling me how much you dug it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, it's just you know, I mean, there's nothing original in it like most animated movies, but you know, it tells a good little story in a nice little martial arts background with talking animals. <laughs> I watched uh, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. This is a documentary on horror films uh, and kind of you know America's fascination with the horror film. You know, it's it's a good it's a good documentary, but it it doesn't go over anything you haven't seen before. It's really just run of the mill, and it's just you know if if you're a horror fan, you're not gonna learn anything from watching this thing. Uh, you already know everything they go over. So I mean, it's it's just that that's the most disappointing thing about it. Good film, just you know, been there, done that. That's the that's the problem with it. Yeah, that's that's sometimes the case when you get documentaries on things that you know were enthusiastic about it. It's a lot of beats you would expect, and sometimes it's enjoyable if you're in the right mood just to kind of uh, rehash some stuff. But yeah, it, it, not always informative. Yeah, I'm always interested in watching those things because you know I kind of like, you know, I'm like anybody. I like a greatest hits package every now and then, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it just it kind of bored me really. It's only 90 minutes long, so it's not it's not too bad. And I watched another documentary called The Brandon Tina Story. This is a story that I think the boys don't cry or girls. Yes, yeah, that film. That's the. This is the real document. I've seen it before. Uh, it was on Netflix Instant Watch, and I don't, I don't know why. I started watching it, and I just kind of left it on. And I, oh, I know why. Because I threw my back out, and I couldn't move, and it was on, and I clicked on it, and I threw my I threw my back out in the, in that process of watching it. And by that point, I was like, "Fuck it, it's staying on now because I'm not moving." <laughs> it 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 really is a really really sad tragic example of something that happens far too often. Yes, yes, it's a terribly sad movie. And uh, it's very interesting just just to watch it. It uh, it both enrages me and uh, and saddens me every time I watch it. So 
just a sad story altogether. Uh, and that's pretty much it, other than the films for the show. I mean, I kept it light this week. I watched a lot more last week, I think. So, kept it a little light this week. Who knows what it'll be this week? <laughs> you never can tell. No, no. Some weeks it just you can't get it going, man. You and I will talk on like Thursday, Friday, and it's like you watch much. I'm like, oh, one movie. You're like, yeah, me too. And it's just, <laughs> you know. Well, I had every intention of going to the movies while I was on vacation, but of course, as you know, from having you know a young child before and a, a new young child, yeah, that's not going to happen too easily. So, oh, it's shambles. Haircuts don't happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, going to the movies certainly won't. Well, because we said the other night, oh, we're going to go see Jackass 3D, and I'm like, wait a second, that means that Braden's got to be with uh, Nona as well as William, which I she would certainly do. But so it's they, just they're, 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 there's a, see everybody always says we agree on everything. There's another thing we both don't agree on. You, I think you love you like Jackass, right? Love Jackass. And see, I think it's like one of the most like terrible things in American culture ever. Mind you, I hate Bam Margera. <laughs> yeah, I hate everybody in the show. I wish that they all were shot in the head and killed. Oh, wow, <laughs> I, I love I love. I went to see everyone in theaters. I own every DVD. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's definitely maybe maybe that maybe that's uh, you know you being Canadian liking the Americans. I don't know. I, don't know. I despise them. I despise but I was them. I was actually encouraged because Dennis uh, Cazalio or Cazalio from Sergio Leone and the Infield Fibril also loves it. So I didn't feel too like yeah. You know, I, I think I posted on I think that no, was Twitter. I said I thought I might catch hell for this, but it saddens me that it was number one at the box office. It tells me everything that's wrong with America. Oh, I, pump, I, I was watching with my wife. I, I saw 50 million Jackass 3D, and I pumped my fist like Tiger Wood and said, another one for the good guys. Oh, man. So. <laughs> Me and Aaron, do, Aaron uh, Death Rattle Aaron, were high-fiving. <laughs> yes. So, um, let's see what the listeners think. I'm sure we got quite a few Jackass fans out there. Obviously, there's a lot out there, but I'd be curious if anybody else feels the way I do. I know there's a couple, but I don't know how many. I'd be curious to see. Maybe we'll put a poll up on the Palaver. We should, man. See what goes on over there. All right, uh, so that is uh, everything, I think. Okay, for the intro. Uh, we'll we'll uh, take a break and come back and blah, 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 blah. let's do making County Line first because I think we've got a lot more to talk about there. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. All right, we'll be back right after this. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we have to sacrifice a few hours a week to podcast about whatever you find important, but we think you're crazy asking us to write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is a podcast about other podcasts. A podcast about television. A podcast about films. A podcast about music. A podcast about books. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Podcast Podcast. The Podcast Podcast is your one-stop source for all the podcasts on the internet. Each week we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes so that you can decide if you should check them out or keep on moving. Find us at thepodcastpodcast.com or search for us in the iTunes store by looking for me, Fozzie Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. music from coffee there nice very nice that uh should be said is my favorite pam roll and love when she works that afro man yes 
Nice, nice. I just realized, uh, looking uh, at the filmography of the director we're going to talk about, that uh, I've never seen the sequel to this. So and neither have I. And you know what? I think a good friend of the show, Rob Allen, uh, as well as a few other people, actually prefer it. And it's got Nick Nolte and Don Johnson. So yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm looking at here, and I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, maybe I should check that out sometime. Yeah, let me know. Oh, whoever sees it first, I'm sure we'll we'll tell the other ones. So. All right, so uh, we are doing Making County Line from 1974. Uh, you picked this one, so I'll let you synopsize, and we'll get to talking about it. Well, since the IMDb synopsis is fucking spoiler palooza, <laughs> um, I would recommend no one sees it. But I will just say it's essentially about two brothers who are on a, from Chicago who are on a bender through the South two weeks before they have to re-enlist in the Army yes. uh, in 1953 in Macon County, Georgia. Um, and I think that's all I'll say for now. I'm sure we'll get into a few other little subtle things uh, as we go. Um, so I picked this film. You and I talked about um, how much we enjoyed it and how it's one of those ones that outside of some of the drive-in guys like Ensley and Zom and a few others that really dig it, Rob Allen, uh, it seems like this is one that doesn't get talked about enough uh, in circles, and we wanted to remedy that. So I picked it. You'd seen it before, um, but I don't think in a while. So tell me what you thought. Yeah, it's been a long while, actually. Um, okay, we'll give you a little bit of history about this film. This film was a major success, actually. It only cost uh, 225000 to make. Very mm-hmm. low budget. Made like $18 million. $30 million. Oh, well, yeah. I'm just looking at the gross in the USA. Uh, I think, oh, okay. So I think it made more world. I mean, it made a lot of money, and it gave. I know Max Bear Jr. made a ton of money off of this thing uh, because he's lived off of that money. I know I've seen interviews with him, and he's lived off of that money because I mean, the guy, you know, famous son of a boxer, uh, famous for being Jethro Bodine on fucking Beverly Hillbillies because I think he did that for like two hundred and something episodes. That show was on forever. Uh, not always uh, known for his acting ability, although we will talk about him in this one uh, quite a bit. And his writing ability, actually, as well, because he uh, helped write the screenplay and wrote the story for this film. So, yes, yeah. I was going to say it's so interesting to harken all the way back to episode one when we did a Rolling Thunder. Yeah. And Roscoe P. Coltrane turned up uh, <laughs> yeah. as a really sleazy sheriff to quite great effect. And I think to bring it all the way up to 102 episodes later, uh, it's interesting that I think it's you know that he had to take it in his own hands. But uh, oh my god. You know what I just realized? Sorry to jump around here. Compton also directed one that this reminds me of. I think would play a pretty interesting double bill that I like. Uh, another Joe Don Baker film called Making. Uh, yeah, Making County Line. Welcome <laughs> Home, Soldier Boys. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on there. I was going to talk about that. He also did Angels Die Hard, which I have seen before. That's the one where uh, I believe William Smith uh, and his bike gang try to save some miners. So well, that's uh, a great title. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, you know it's one of those William Smith type films. I've seen that film before. I've never seen. Have, I've never seen Ravagers, and I really want to see Ravagers now. Bad. If Angels Die Hard was made in the early '80s, you know it would have had a lot of teased hair, peroxide blondes instead of mustachioed bikers. Yeah, you need to click on Ravagers. Look at the cast. Look at the poster. Tell me you don't want to do that movie. Uh, oh, he did. He did Get Christy Love too. Wow, I didn't realize how. Uh, how accomplished well, diverse, he is. So uh, what you basically got here is some really good low-budget filmmaking going on. You got a lot of dub dialogue over open scenes. Uh, to tell story instead of using narration they pretty much just have people walking around and doing a little talking not always actually talking i think but uh that's good for kind of moving the story along and it's good low budget filmmaking because you can't afford a boom guy you know mm-hmm. so it's good stuff did you click on that ravagers by the way i did i didn't want to interrupt you i'm a little over caffeinated and i might do it a few more times so if i'm cognizant of it i won't do it that is an incredible cast richard harris art carney woody strode ernest borgnine seymour cassell 
That is incredible, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's a post-apocalyptic movie set in 1991. It was made in 79. <laughs> and, and, of course, Ravager number one is played by Arch, Arch Chambeau. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> He's my favorite actor. I like yes. that the one character's name is Thug with Sickle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's a sickle. There's a thug with a sickle. It's a movie I want to see. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I'm sitting there watching this movie and I'm watching all, you know, I like when we go back and we revisit these movies I've seen before, because now as an older movie fan, I look at everything. I look who edited the film. I look at everything, the costume designer. I'm just one of those junkies for that. Cause I like to look at little ties and stuff. But in this one, I saw a name I'd never seen before. The art director in this film's name is Roger Pancake. <laughs> You know what? I was going to write it down, and I had enough faith in Sammy that I didn't write down Mr. Pancake's name. <laughs> now, I got to believe, I don't know for sure, but I got to believe Mr. Pancake might be from Canada. <laughs> he, as luck would have it, he's from Flin Flon, Manitoba. No, I don't know. <laughs> I just saw Roger Pancake. I was like, no way, man. <laughs> he might he might have done a lot of work. I don't know. I didn't click on the full cast and crew. I'll, I'll, I'll look through as we're doing this. So, As will I. <laughs> Well, there's his name right there prominently. <laughs> Let's see if he did anything interesting. Oh, well, he worked on Raising Arizona somehow, no some way. way. I don't know how that's possible. It doesn't. Oh, he's, he's been an actor. Okay. Well, he was in a movie called Dracula's Dog. Midnight uh, Run, uh, China Syndrome. Uh, he was the other highway patrolman in Macon County Line, so he must have been the one. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Looks like he worked in the art department quite a bit. <laughs> he was in Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, Roger Pancake. Yes. Contact us. We'll do an interview with you. He, he's gone into the Pantheon with Drakey Stainer. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see a buddy cop movie with Roger Pancake and Drakey Stainer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so this this movie does have an interesting cast, if you really think about it. A lot of character actors here. Max Bear, of course, uh, who everybody will know as Jethro Bodine from Beverly Hillbillies. Leif Garrett, who... Uh, it's interesting to me. Leif Garrett, you know, of course, you know, he's went on to become kind of infamous for being a child star gone wrong. But, I mean, he worked with Lee Van Cleef. He worked with, uh, remind me to tell you a Lee Van Cleef story off the air, by the way. Uh, I think I know that story. Yeah, it's we'll probably, it's pretty interesting, actually. Yes, it is. Uh, but he worked with you know, Lee Van Cleef, you know, he was in this film. I mean, he was in some good films, you know. He was in The Outsiders, the Francis Ford Coppola movie I like. I mean, he did some good stuff outside of his singing and stuffing of pants for a while. Cheer- yeah. Cheerleader, was it Cheerleader? High or cheerleader school, the slasher. Yeah, I think so. I think it was one, yeah. it was one of those cheerleader films. Yeah, but he was good. You know, I liked him when I was growing up. You know, he was in some films that you know I, I cared for. Actually, you know, I mean, I don't know what happened. He was in Walking Tall Part Two, which we'll get around to covering at some point on the show. I'll tell you what happened. Heroin happened. <laughs> well, yeah, heroin and lack of hair. He lost all his pretty boy looks. <laughs> yeah, he did. He's got the whole Brett Michaels thing going now. Uh, you get James Gammon, who just recently passed away. He played the uh, manager in Major League. Had the real thick guff voice. Oh yeah, yeah. He's in a lot of lot of lot of character parts, a lot of movies. Uh, good actor. Um, and of course, uh, Jeffrey Lewis is in there as well, uh, playing Hamp and uh, doing a voice of some weird, <laughs> some weird yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah, he is, and he's he's as we've said before, man, the Dick Clark of character actors. That guy looks the same in '74. <laughs> As he did in 2004, maybe maybe with a worse comb over somehow in '74, but yeah, it's really interesting how he's 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 almost like an he's a he's a weird almost kind of like ageless wonder. Now he does look older, but it's not like he looks you know 40 or 50 years older. He looks no. he just looks a little bit older. Yeah, like seven eight years older or something. Now they now the two brothers in the film are actually played by brothers, Alan Vent and uh, Jesse Vent, uh, which I think Jesse Vent actually looks a lot like Chris Mitchum. 
I think he looks actually like uh, he reminded me of uh, Peter Fonda or Dennis Hopper. Yeah, a little bit like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking uh, Chris Mitchum probably because I could no, see Chris Mitchum totally my, too, man. My mind is always on the Mitchum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're both in this film. And they play brothers in the film, and uh, I, I've seen Alan Vent in a couple things. He was actually in Badlands. I remember that when we did when we did the film. But Jesse, I don't know if I've seen him. Looking at his, looks like uh, there's there's definitely some films of his I should have seen. Interesting. All right, we won't get into all that, but there's some good stuff in there. But anyway, they play these brothers, and they do a really good job, I think, of playing these two brothers that kind of know their lives are going to change, so they're out for one last hurrah. And uh, I really, I really, I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, I, it, they really felt. I mean, obviously they are brothers, but they, but they really felt like brothers to me because brothers oh, kind of yeah. have this natural shorthand with each other, you know. And there's tempers can flare. I mean, I know this from having a brother. I mean, you know, I love my brother, but at the same time, you know, he can piss me off very easily. <laughs> I love that you use the phrase the the shorthand because you really do feel that, and I think that um, Bear and Company were really smart to cast real life brothers because that's the kind of stuff on that budget they weren't going to get two great 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 actors, mm-hmm. but they did get two rock solid character actors who had such intimate familiarity with their relationship in the film that it works really well. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of those films, you know, we always talk about this on the show and how we like this, but this movie felt like it's cast for faces. It's not felt like it's cast for, you know, obviously it's a low-budget movie, so they're not going to get big stars, but everybody's got a great face. Uh, The faces work really well. It kind of gives you that small-town feel. Uh, And, uh, you know, again, I'll talk about Max Bear here again, because he's going to be a big part of my conversation, but I haven't got to him yet. Uh, this is a different time, obviously. Uh, come home for lunch, have a beer. <laughs> I mean, times were different, man. I mean, I, if I was to go home, first of all, if I had to go home for lunch, I'd have to leave work for two hours because it takes me about an hour to get home <laughs> and an hour to get back. Yeah. But, uh, you know, even if I did, uh, it's, it's frowned upon heavily to have a brew <laughs> on my lunch hour. So not that you couldn't do it, but, you know, people just don't do that you know, anymore. But it's interesting how, you know, cops just openly drank beers. And, uh, and I used to see this when I was a kid, actually, here in the city of Louisville, man. You know, people would... Uh, you know, take a you know, take a break, and they'd be at a bar or something, drink a beer. So, well, we even see him drink one openly at the uh, at um, Jeffrey Lewis's gas station. Yeah, which very very interesting situation there, which I'll get into. I think that the, the that's the thing about this film. Now, Max Bear Jr. is in the film. Uh, he's a uh, he says on the film he's just known as Max Bear. That's how he got himself cast, or how he's got himself billed in the film. But it's you know, he is Max Bear Jr. and uh, if you're used to seeing Jethro Bodine, this is definitely a different side of him. You can see little bits and pieces of Jethro in there, like his little happiness stuff, because Jethro is always this really kind of simpleton, kind of happy-go-lucky, big goon with a heart of gold type character, uh, which even if you never watched the Beverly Hillbillies, everybody, kind of, I think, kind of knows who Jethro Bodine is. Uh, at least they know of this, you know, this character he created. Uh, but here, in this film, it's really interesting what they do with his character in this film, in that... They and I don't think this is giving anything away, but you know, you stop me if you think it is. They kind of give him he he's a he's a firm but fair guy. He but he he's also a little bit of a dick. You know what I wrote down um, was that he. Uh, let me find my note because I, you know obviously it's kind of timely right now. Is that he? Um, well, I'll talk about obviously within the framework of, of the, all the characters, but uh, with him, he kind of has this. Slight, and this, I think, ties in with the whole Jethro thing a little bit. This very slightly off-kilter kind of menace Yes. that partially, I think, is spurred on by boredom, partially is spurred on by 
I think, deep south mentality, but it's it's not cartoonish. Like there, there's a, a very interesting moment that I think is handled very well when he sees his son talking to, uh, to a few young African-American boys. And what he says is bad. Certainly he says, you know, um, they should go to school with their own, we should go to school with ours, and it's better that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they handled it that way as opposed to the kind of over-the-top, you know, nonsense. But I think that that's kind of a bit of digression. Yeah, he has this really off-kilter kind of menace about him. No, uh, that's, a, that's a good example, though, that, that because what, what, what it shows is that he is a simple person. He's a simple man in a simple town. He's got a simple job. He's raised probably by a very prejudiced man and a, and maybe even a woman. I don't know. We never know anything about his background. We just know that he's the sheriff of this small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably just thinks it's better to keep people separated like people did back then because, you know, obviously it makes his job easier because mm-hmm. uh, he is the sheriff, right? So, And, and there's some really great framework with a uh, an African-American gentleman and a young boy and some fishing poles. Oh yeah, that's well done in here. That kind of makes a statement of you know some things and stuff. And I don't want to get into all that because they give away too much of the film. But but I, I do like that scene a lot. And what and what and you're right. What he said. What you said is that you know he is at that moment. You're thinking, well, this guy's you know he's a prick. And there's another scene too when he's talking to the the teenager. He's talking to the guys, to the brothers and the and the, and the drifter girl, Jenny. Uh, you know, you get to see that that dickheaded sheriff come out in him like he knows what his job is and what he wants but to do but it's like it's 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 this weird it's a weird moment it's like he goes from he goes from this kind of happy-go-lucky sheriff to a guy who just doesn't want any trouble in his town he reminds me of brian dennehy and uh and first blood a little bit although he doesn't take it to the extremes <laughs> brian dennehy did obviously it, uh, yeah, it, it's it's almost like a combination of boredom and xenophobia. Like you see, yeah, yeah. he's more openly hostile to the boys who are white men yes. than he is to the African American boys. But it's almost like he may not like them, but they're his own. Like they're yeah. they're from his town, right? Whereas these are these outsiders, these city slickers coming into his town, and right. he openly antagonizes them. He really busts their balls. Yeah, he really does, and he does it. The great thing about that scene is that he does it in an extremely subtle way without ever raising his voice yeah. or doing anything. And it's a really great performance. It's a great moment because it's like at that moment, you know that this guy is, is fucking serious. I mean, he kind of came off as this really nice guy, sheriff and everything else, but he's also the fucking guy you don't want to mess with. And he lets you know that, like within like five minutes of that conversation, he's like, you know, that you know from that point on, you don't want to fuck with this guy. And those and the boys, you know, respect him for it. You know, not in a good way. They want to get away from him, obviously, but they just want to get the fuck out of there because they don't want to have to deal with him. Obviously, um, the story is very simple, and I think that that's to its credit. It works really well. It's because it's very effective the way it's told. There's not a lot of waste of time in this movie. This movie's not real long. Uh, I think it's like an hour and a half, and. Uh, not a lot of wasted time, man. It's a very streamlined story, and I think that really works to its benefit. There's not I don't really feel like there's very many wasted scenes in here. No. Uh, I feel like almost every scene has a purpose. I do I did have some issues with the cow trough love scene, uh, which I always had tra- problems with. First of all, because I'm not I don't know, dude. I've chased a lot of women in my day. <laughs> but <laughs> are you with me? Are you gonna get in some weird farmhouse uh, water trough and make out with a chick? I mean, I well, guess it depends on the chick, but... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Moonlight wouldn't probably illuminate that thing enough for me to be confident that if I'm getting naked, that, that this something in that water is not going to get somewhere it shouldn't and get me really sick, man. But no, you're right. I think that... that I have to agree with you. I think that's the only scene... 
that feels like a little bit of a misstep because they got the music. It's kind of that you know shitty kind of romantic music, and they're almost like two um, like two sea creatures like twirling in the water at slow motion, and they're making love, and yeah. it really doesn't fit with the rest of the film. It's an exploitive element, what it is. I mean, this yeah, is a drive-in movie. You know, you get a little bit of skin. You don't get a whole lot. You just get a little bit, but. It's enough to titillate, and uh, you know it's in there for that purpose, and that's really the only reason it's there. Really, seriously, it's it really doesn't do anything for the story. I mean, you can you can tell that uh, one of the brothers is falling for this girl without even having that scene in there. Oh, totally. Or actually, you can tell both of them are kind of falling for the girl. So it's one of those situations. Um, let me see here. I like that. Uh, oh, here's 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 something I want to talk about. Um. The misinterpreted motives of the film, sometimes that kind of st- that's really effective storytelling because it really gets the audience to buy in. Uh, I don't want to go too much detail about that because it gives away a major plot point, but I just love the kind of, it's almost Hitchcockian in a way, the way they just kind of use some misinterpretation to kind of really kind of get the audience involved a lot and it really gets you going. I've seen this before, uh, I knew what was coming, but it still it still got me going all over again. So I mean that tells me that it was well handled. Uh, I'll say that uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it might seem like a throwaway scene if you think about it, but to me it was very, very, very important. And I'm going to see what you think of this scene. There's a scene, it's a dream sequence. And Leif Garrett's character, the, the son, he's the son, Leif Garrett plays the son of uh, Jethro Bodine's character, or <laughs> Max Baird Jr.'s character, my bad. Uh, and they're out hunting. Uh, pheasants, it looks like. Uh, I guess that's what they're hunting. I'm not a hunter, so I don't know. Um... Uh, so they're out hunting and, you know, they see this, this pheasant and, uh, you know, it's going to fly up and they're supposed to shoot it. And, uh, I think this is how you do it anyway. I don't know. Uh, but you can see this look on the father's face, uh, Baxter Jr.'s character to his son and then this, this reaction thing. And there's this moment of, I think, Max Baird Jr. realizing that his son isn't like him. And I think it's a, I think it's a moment. Sometimes all father. I mean, I, I I dread the moment that you know it's probably going to happen to me at some point too. I think all fathers have a little bit of heartbreak at some point when they realize that some things their sons do are not going to be exactly what they want them to do. Sometimes you know, or what they would like for them to do. I should say, and yeah. it's a great moment because it tells you that it tells you what Leif Garrett's kind of his character because they give the son a lot more. A lot more kind of depth than a son would normally have in this kind of movie. I think that that's what I think anyway, because I don't want to talk about the back end of the film too much and everything else, other than the fact that I think it's shot like a fucking horror movie and it's pretty brilliantly done, actually. It is, but you're right. They give the son more depth, and let's face it, for let let's simplify things. Max Bayer is the bad guy, mm-hmm. although there are some other elements at play that that cause the wheels of fate to turn, but. But they give him a lot more. That he's not the bad guy. He's he's shades. It comes that thing we love that I think a lot of people love is the shades of gray. Oh, yeah. He we can see he is a good father. He's not. They don't paint him again to be this cartoonish drunk who smacks his wife and 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 yells at his kid. He clearly loves his son a great deal. Right uh, to the point where he's mindful of, despite it being not right. He's still mindful not to spew complete venom at his son about yes. the African-American boys. And he, he clearly does love his wife. So I think the fact that we get to see all that stuff colors him in a way that it is shades of gray, but it's not just this cardboard stock, mm-hmm. you know. 
Well, I mean, there's that one great line he has where he goes to pick up Leif Garrett's character, and this is this says everything about his character. Okay, yeah, he's he's probably a little bit racist. Okay, yeah, that's a bad element. Yeah, he's probably an asshole to some in some degree. That's another bad element. But he is very great. But he's also a little bit, even though I know this sounds like maybe I'm you know I'm I'm making this guy out who's you know who's prejudiced and these other things. There's there's some things about his character that I liked. I liked his. Uh, I like that he his son he wanted to take his son hunting, but his son didn't really want to go hunting. And then his son basically tells him that dad I made a promise. And Bax Bear's character comes back saying, Well, if you promised, then you know, you gotta do it. And I I'm a big fan of that because I'm I'm you know, I'm a personal believer that you, you know, you own up to your convictions, even if it is something as simple as you promising your friends you're gonna show up to play for the team. Uh I love that he does a fatherly thing there and sacrifices his time with his son. So his son can learn about make you know keeping promises and being you know being a man of honor, and and allows him to be a boy. I think that is a tremendous scene that is understated but so effective. And that scene is great. At the beginning of the scene, we see what kind of man he is when he goes to pick his son up from military school. And you know he he's he's a he's a, a man in uniform. He could walk in there and go ah you know I can't remember his son's name. Let's just say it's Joe. Hey Joe, come on, let's go. But he in in kind of like a sweet sweet moment. Uh, you can see that he respects what these boys are doing in military school, and he he addresses like this eleven year old boy, like uh, uh, you know, excuse me, sir, uh, here to pick up my son, sir. You know, he addresses them in that formal way that I really like because he was playing along for the sake of he knew they'd get a kick out of it, getting to, getting a chance to kind of uh, yeah, yeah. use some of their military school stuff. So it was it was a really good scene, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, that's the confusing thing about his character. We can sit here all day and say, oh yeah, this guy's a fucking dick. You know, he doesn't like African American people, and he's a he's a good old boy who doesn't want these young guys and these young guys. You know, even though they are a little seedy, they you know they're not exactly the best guys. They'll take purses from uh, <laughs> prostitutes, and they're not you know they're not the clean clean and cut uh, perfect American guys, but at the same time, you know, I mean, it'd be easy to get behind uh, Max Bear Jr.'s character as the villain, quote-unquote, but, hey, I mean, they do a really good job of making him and fleshing him out to be a real human being. And uh, that's something you don't really see anymore. I mean, nowadays, bad guy's a bad guy, and that's just yeah. the way it goes. You don't really see the other side so much. So uh, I thought that was really probably the most interesting thing about the film. Um, I got a couple more notes, but I really don't want to talk about it because I'm afraid it gives away a little too much. So I'll just go ahead and kick it over to you. Okay. Um, you know, the film's really interesting the way it opens. It kind of opens, uh, it looks like our boards are down, interestingly. Uh, it opens with almost like this comic book kind of shot where it's in this window and it's kind of slow. You can hear like the, the voiceover and stuff mm-hmm. and the, the camera kind of comes down and in the window and it's got those yellow credits and it just, I don't know why, I really like that, man. It was really stylish without being overly flashy. And then they even have the restraint where you can hear clearly that uh, one of the brothers is is um, <laughs> yeah. engaging in certain <laughs> yeah certain acts frivolous activities with, with this lady of the night, and it it kind of almost teases you that the camera moves at a very slow, slow, deliberate pace, and just when you think it's going to get there, it doesn't. It jumps around to the other brother who gets up from the bed, and you know just you know handled with I think a restraint and. Uh, I gotta sure say, I gotta, not, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I gotta say that sliding down a telephone pole barefoot is not a good idea. No, definitely Jesus. not. <laughs> That's definitely all I gotta not. say. There's a moment where they're getting out of there, and I think his brother thinks he'll be funny by taking his clothes. <laughs> so, yeah, which that's something a brother would do to a brother, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, totally, man. Um, 
I do want to say that I think they were great to set this in the South. And, you know, we've talked about that. I think we both like a lot of these backwoods movies or the Southern stuff. Now, I don't like, as I've said to you, one of the first things I said to you, I love the South in terms of anytime I've been there, the people have been great to me, mm-hmm. very friendly. I love the food, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it's a great setup, especially in this era, because it has this, and I think a 50s society does on the whole, it has that, that, that sense of foreboding right beneath beneath that pleasant veneer. Yes, yes. You know. Um, well, that's the way the South can kind of be sometimes. I mean, you, you know, you could still go down into the deep South, and and uh, I don't know if it's because of deliverance or if it's because of certain things, but, you know, you go down to the deep South sometimes, and even me, a Southerner, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's spots that, you know, I wouldn't go to uh, by myself probably. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Now I love the uh, the Macon County line freeze when it freezes in the credits. It's yes. one of the brothers jumping over a banister bare ass, <laughs> yeah. and then then the song Jim Dandy play. It's just a funny moment, man. Again, it just it kind of it's one of those things like it wasn't even something the character did so much. It just well it was, but it, it kind of endeared you to the characters. Like like you said, these characters they're a bit douchey, they're a bit seedy, but you can't help but kind of uh, like them. Like they're almost like the lovable rogues in a sense. And I think nowadays that would be like teenagers that we would just be like, oh, these guys are fucking douchebags. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, we're in a culture now that's a little bit more mean-spirited. So even as mean as what they do and what they did, uh, basically, to a prostitute, I guess, you know, whatever. But I, there's still something kind of innocent about young men back in that day, maybe, you know, feels like Porky's uh, a little bit further yeah. south. Yeah, 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 a little bit like you know. that. Some, some kind of innocent about the sexuality of the 50s, 60s, and maybe even some ways the 70s with the freedom and the disco era and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, some somewhere along the way, some of that stuff kind of got ugly. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, oh, there's and then there's a great bit when they pick up the girl. I can't remember her name now, but... Uh, and I have to. They had me duped along with the girl at first when they're saying, "What you know? What are you doing?" Kind of talking to each other about their history, and and the the, the brothers kind of jump in the story together. They talk about how they punched their mother in the face and giving her knuckle sandwiches and full Nelsons, and yeah, it, to the point where it just gets too ridiculous. Where like you guys are fucking with me? Come on! Yeah, and you know, I, I just kind of laughed at, at at that when it got too ridiculous because again, it was like. You know, it just it kind of again endeared you to them. They got a good sense of humor. They're just you know they're kind of just young guys doing what young guys do. You know, it's yeah, yeah. You know, spinning some tales a little bit and stuff, and and having some fun. I guess as as dark and as morbid as that is, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's what young guys do. You know, I mean, I'll, I won't lie to you. I'm just I'm, I'm skinning through the news day. I forgot. To, did you see that John Claude Van Damme had a heart attack today? No, but I meant to mention actually. That's fucked up. Uh, Don Bosley died. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he passed away, and then later on, I heard the news that Van Damme. He only had a minor heart attack, but uh, still, 50, age fifty, uh, you know, good shape. Obviously, he's done some bad things to his heart with. Uh, he's got to lay off the fucking snow, man. Yeah, with the powder, but uh, still, you know, a minor heart attack. I was reading a news story, and somebody made a joke of it, like they always do with Van Damme, saying he uh, did a roundhouse kick and restarted his own heart. So, oh god, <laughs> it's both terrible but, uh, and funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I see it here, but uh, yeah, it's pretty messed up. Get, get better, JCVD, and rest in peace. Uh, yeah, Mr. Cunningham. Yes, yes, that's, that's a lot of people have been passing away. We haven't been mentioning them lately, but there's been a lot of them. So. No, man, Solomon Burke, that great musician that I just love, really. Yeah, I didn't even sadly. know that. I didn't even know that. I found that out just the other day. I don't even know how I didn't know that. 
Yeah, it's it's sad, man, because he's a really great musician that uh, you know influenced a lot more than people yep. realize. Yep. Um, but uh, back on point. Yeah, yes. Sorry, uh, but <laughs> I got to say, the seventies and I guess in this, the fifties must have been a different time because apparently people shared toothbrushes with total strangers. Uh, yeah. That's fuck. I don't share a fucking toothbrush. Listen, I'll share everything with my wife. She can lick my ice cream. We can share the same spoon, have the same drink. I don't share my fucking toothbrush, man. I would maybe in a pinch if we needed to. Yeah. But that's it, man. And my kids and my wife. I'm not sharing my toothbrush with anyone else, man. I'm a, I'm a big stickler for certain things, and uh, uh, let's just say my wife has used my toothbrush before and literally it, it, it drove me up a wall. I literally left and went and bought a new toothbrush before I did anything that morning. I can't. I can't do that with anybody. I don't care who it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe my kids. Maybe, maybe my boy someday. Maybe I could see that because you know he's something so innocent about a child and everything. But you know, I know where my wife's mouth's been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as as as, as uh, you know as. Crass as that yeah, as crass as that mean. sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Your kids, trust me, man. I know you'll be the same way. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't even. You know, I don't even blink. Like I'll, uh, yeah, William. Oh yeah, he he spits up on my hand all the time, and I I don't know how many times I've gotten his spit up in my mouth. Oh yeah, no, it happens. It's, it's quite it's tasty, by the things. way. Yeah, it's quite tasty. Yeah, yeah, quite, <laughs> quite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Where, where's this note coming from? <laughs> oh, uh, there's this good, that great kind of in, and certainly intentionally. We see the film is is in the hands of skilled people that intentionally ironic because it lingers enough that you know it's intentional the intentionally ironic um, news footage of the McCarthyism the witch hunt mm-hmm. going on I really like that yeah. just a small thing I mean it's topical obviously because of the 50s but kind of get a, a little witch hunt of our, our own here uh, you know but um, yeah I don't want to say too much either but there's one of those great twists that the film feels lived in enough that you, you buy into it yeah um, it's a real twist of fate that kind of leads to our climax, and and it involves a chase with some characters and stuff, and it really feels like real people we care about. Because the great thing about this film is, it's well written enough and lived in enough that this isn't an action-packed film. Let's let's say that it's not a rompy film. It's very much uh, it, it's got that kind of you know su- southern Sunday kind of uh, pace where it's just laid back. It, it'll get where it needs to go. It's going to be a nice, pleasant ride. Not pleasant so much, but yeah, enjoyable yeah. ride. Yeah, because we, yeah, we got to mention that it is, there is a little bit of sleaze in there. I mean, there is some sleaze. There's someone gets yeah. someone gets shot in the face, and there's some rape. And Yeah, of course, it, of it, course there's rape. It's a gentleman's guide movie. It's a gentleman's guide movie. <laughs> but, but no, it's not It's not Raiders of Atlantis, you know. No, 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 no. No Popeye talk, unfortunately. <laughs> no, sadly not, man. Um but the, the chase feels real, and and yeah. yeah, it's funny you mentioned shot like a horror film because it's like it's got that POV slasher stuff well, going it's to- on. It's totally shot like a horror film. It's totally shot like a horror film in a lot of ways toward the back end, especially that, oh, yeah. la- that last fifteen minutes. Oh, totally. Which I don't want to talk about at all because it just basically just you know if anybody wants to watch the other sixty or seventy minutes of it, this gives away everything. So uh, there's no point in talking about the back end. But I mean, the back end's a lot of fun, and it's it's really well done. And uh, I was really, really into it again after seeing it. And I hadn't seen it probably in 10, 15 years. Uh, this is one of those videotape ones that I, you know, I read about back in the day. And I finally got a hold of it and liked it then, but I never made a copy for to keep for myself. So, shame. And it's really cheap on DVD, though. We were talking about that right before we started recording, I believe, right? Three bucks, man. That's American, so it's three bucks Canadian. Anybody that likes... 
<laughs> anybody <laughs> nice anybody that I, like, add the 30 for shipping though sorry to cut you off <laughs> yeah you gotta add the 30 for shipping <laughs> <laughs> but sorry Sammy, i cut you off there. uh no i'd say everybody should own this film everybody should i think if you're an exploitation fan or a fan of drive through drive drive through drive-in movies if you're a fan of the drive through too yeah but if you're a fan of drive-in movies exploitation movies and everything else it's one of those kind of movies i mean it's just you know to me it's like an essential exploitation film it is an essential drive-in film. I do know that there was an Anchor Bay disc, Sammy. I don't know what it's going for. I'm sure you could find it. Um, but the Anchor Bay disc that came out in 2000 has a commentary with the director. Yeah. It has a documentary uh, down the road 25 years later or something. Mm-hmm. So Because it should be said, the, the disc I have, I own it on VHS and DVD. But the disc I have is so fucking bare bones, it doesn't even have the trailer. When you put the disc in... Yeah. Um, the the title of the screen comes up and it's scene selection or play movie. That's it. Yeah, I think that I have that same disc and I also have that same disc with the uh, Kickbox Terminator. It literally just says scene access. Oh yeah, or play movie. Yeah, you get that shot of uh, <laughs> Gary in his red spandex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, we'll right. talk about that. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, but I want to say the other Vint brother, the the non uh, Fonda or Mitchum. He looked a bit like me, like French, the French great actor Jean Paul Belmondo. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, I love quality. the theme. Sorry, no, I'm saying he had a very French quality. Yeah, he did. I love the theme. So I love actually the score in this film. I think you know they got a lot of great music from the time. Um, I do want to say, and I can't. If you've seen this movie, you'll know what I mean. And I can't spoil it, but I have to mention it. And I mentioned this to you off the air. People always shit on Tarantino, and I jumped in and said a few weeks ago, as you would have, would have, um, and said, "Hang on a second, Carpenter." Who is one of our favorite? Everyone's favorites. Everyone loves John Carpenter. Yep. Uh, is also, you know, influenced and borrows heavily from things. In fact, his best film, in my opinion, is a remake of a Hawks film. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, and a few of the other films. Uh, you know, in fact, in fact, his first big film was a really a riff on on uh, another on different Hawks film. So, anyway, there's a shot near the end of this film mm-hmm. that. Carpenter absolutely, absolutely used to open one of his most famous oh, films. Yep, yep. Oh yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with you. There's no way he didn't borrow it from this man. There's no way. I mean, his was done with a different intent with the character in that movie. And now I'm getting too cryptic, but you, you know, if anyone has seen this and they're saying, "What are you talking about?" I don't know what you mean. I'd be happy to let you know. I just don't want to spoil it because it does give away a big. What's, what's interesting is last week me and uh, Alex talked about uh, Strange Behavior, which had a lot of moments uh, that were similar to uh, Halloween. <laughs> well, I just fucking gave it away, man. <laughs> Do you want to edit that out? <laughs> yeah, I'll try to. I'll try to remember where that's at and edit it out. Let me let me see. Because that's a big. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let me let me start from here. Uh, well, what's interesting is me and Alex kind of talked about John Carpenter last week as well, and. How somebody else might have been uh, influenced by him, so we think it's it's very interesting. But you know what? You you bring up a very interesting point. These the anybody that complains about filmmakers ripping filmmakers off, look, all artists in some capacity are ripping somebody off, not ripping them off note for note. I don't, I don't yeah, I think that everybody's influenced to some degree. Are there people out there that are hacked? Sure, there is. I mean, we could sit around and talk about Godfrey Ho all day long and these other guys. And I mean, there's a lot of them out there and stuff. But even if 
even it's like the the Brian Trencher Smith uh, voicemail he sent us when you said you know every job's a paying job no no you know nobody's out there to just you know these people that sometimes say you know it's all art and stuff and blah 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 yeah that's fine I mean I, I think there's great filmmakers out there that make great films and then you know you take somebody like Aronofsky who makes one he's like Soderbergh he makes one for himself and then he makes one for the team and he just kind of goes back and forth the reason why I say that is he just he just signed on to do Wolverine too. So Aronofsky did, and then it's got uh, a great writer attached too. That's such a strange situation. Like, yeah. Well, he wanted. Almost, I know he wanted to do the Wolverine film originally, and it didn't work out. So I think I know he's, he's, he's going to take it to Japan. I know yeah. Aronofsky's going to take it to Japan. Yeah, he's got. He's evidently he's got something he really wants to say with Wolverine. If he would, you know, come back and and go through it all again. But again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's okay for filmmakers to come in and dip their toes into the money every now and then because. What that affords us as film fans is a movie like The Limey or is a movie like, um, trying to think of something else, like Arnofsky, like The Wrestler or, or stuff like that. I mean, Orson Welles is the prototype. I mean, he may, you make one for the team, you come back and you make one for yourself. Uh, of course, you know, his is more of a tragic story ultimately. But at the same time, I think it's very important that filmmakers move around a lot. You know, I think if you make too many blockbusters, you, you lose touch with what you were in the beginning. I think if you make too many sometimes independent movies, I think you can – get lost sometimes i think you know certain filmmakers have lost themselves over the years but that that whole thing about people ripping people off always just drives me nuts so yeah everyone's influenced by everyone man like all all the you know we talk about um you know melville and all those guys being influenced by a lot of those crime films from america in the 40s and then johnny toe and these guys are influenced by Melville. it just it's cyclical man it's art you can't help but be influenced when you're young you see things that that astound you and make you want to do that so come on let's just stop with yeah you know as long as they add some touch that's uniquely them it's still unique it's still unique in in some way whether you know people want to admit it or not it's still unique yep absolutely even for somebody Um, is uh you know like tinto brass even so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah those are actually all my notes man okay okay uh okay so i'm gonna go with uh my mvt for the film i'm gonna go with uh I wanted to go with uh, Bear, but I'm going to go with the screenplay altogether because I think this is really, really tight. I think this is a great example of exploitation filmmaking. The story is A to B, and then it gives you your C. I mean, it's almost perfect in a lot of ways. Now, my score for the film is not going to be like, you know, a 9.75 or anything like that, but I do believe this is like a perfect little exploitation gem. And it's really, if people haven't seen it, you really need to see it. I mean, it it might sound like a, a good old boy movie or something else, but there's a lot of layers of stuff going on here. And I think you've heard me and we'll talk about it, so I won't talk a lot more about it. But, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, and this is a really, it's a deeper film than just your standard exploitation movie. Uh, my make or break's going to be that scene where Bear uh, kind of, or, you know, well, Max Bear Jr., I guess I can call him that. He, uh... He, uh, st- he just got done talking to Jeffrey Lewis. I like the whole moment. He's in there talking to Jeffrey Lewis about the car, and Jeffrey Lewis is looking for the wrong part, for the wrong kind of make. He straightens him out, and then he asks some questions about the kids, and you can see immediately after he asks the questions that, uh, you know, he's turned on his game face, and he turns around, and he goes back and talks to the boys. I really, really like that scene a lot. Uh, it really kind of gives you everything. There's so many good scenes in here, it was hard to pick one. But I like that one because it just that that's the moment I knew that this sheriff was the real deal. He wasn't just a, you know, a good old boy who smiles all the time. He wasn't Jethro Bodine, so to speak, or Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you find out very quickly in Rolling Thunder that he's not Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> it doesn't take very long. The spaghetti sweat alone tells you he's not Roscoe P. Coltrane. God, he's such a sleaze bag in that movie. Uh, 
<laughs> my score for the uh, the film is an eight out of ten. I think this is a I think it's a great movie, man. I just think this is a great movie, and uh, it, it I just had a lot of fun watching it again. And this is definitely one of those kind of movies you can watch over and over and over again. I think you you have fun with it every time. So that's all I got. Sorry, man. It's uh, not. I'm definitely uh, enraptured with what you're saying, but it's late. I've I had a a late night last night, and yeah, anyway, I'm yeah. bumbling around here. Understood. Uh, make, Understood. Make, make a break. Uh, what made it for me is just the fleshing out of the characters. Those little moments that we talked about with Bayer's character, with the brothers, and that, like you said, that short emotional shorthand or that kind of um, their camaraderie with them. Just the fleshing out of the characters that really humanized them and made you invested and made it more interested than a stock sleazy uh drive-in film there's more to it than that yeah um my mvt is just the patience they show with their hand it's 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 again you know they had enough faith in in what they in their in the writing and the the screenplay that they kind of took their time to to let it set up for the, the you know the last 20 minutes or so where things really kind of <laughs> fuck me man uh <laughs> yeah. they really get rolling um, my score is a 7.75 out of 10. Uh-huh. Pretty close to yours, man. I think this is a great, great drive-in film. I think everyone should own it. I mean, $3. Fuck it. You can't even rent a film for that. So, you know, it's worth everyone owning. Uh, and it should be said, that there are a lot of, I mean, uniformly, the performances are very, very good, which is also a bit of a rarity in an exploitation or drive-in film of, the, of, of any era. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're truly good performances uh, right across the board. So, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Yep. All right. That sounds good. Uh, so definitely check this out, guys. Three dollars. Fuck. You know. I mean, that's probably that's probably the copy that I have. The uh, disc I have, actually. So I bet I, I could I could get that special edition now. I got to get out and get that. I want to hear some commentary on this film. Anchor Bay 2000. Let's get into it. I might have to get into that. I'm, so I might put Roop on the on the on the job there. <laughs> Guarantee you, by the time he's listening to this, he's bought it. <laughs> yeah. All right. He might actually even own it. For all I know. <laughs> All I wouldn't right. be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so that is our review of Make County Line. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about some Kickbox Terminator. Yeah. A.K.A. Capital Punishment. We'll be back right after this. A.K.A. Godfrey Ho. <laughs> Very Godfrey Ho. We'll be back. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <laughs> Yes, yes, but, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Come on in. You talk about heartaches. Where in the world you been? All right, we are back at a little inspired by making county line there. So <laughs> good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Love me the old country. Yeah, a little Buck Owens to go. Very nice. <laughs> All right, so our next film is from 1991. It is known for me and Large William as Kickbox Terminator. 
<laughs> it also has an alternate title, in our opinion. The alternate title is Capital Punishment. Uh, now, of course, what we do and what I'm saying here is it's basically the other way around. It's known in the States as Capital Punishment, but it, at one point it was known as Kickbox Terminator. Uh, they changed the title. Now, there's a little bit of a story behind this, so I'll go ahead and tell it now. Uh, David Carradine passed away. I guess it was last, was it last year? Was it the year before last? It's been a while now. Yeah, I think about a year ago. And uh, we were just talking about all the movies he's done, all kinds of stuff. And while Will was talking to me, I was looking at his filmography, and I saw this film pop-up called Kickbox Terminator, and I thought, what the fuck? So I click on it, and it's a Gary Daniels-David Carradine joint. And uh, <laughs> I thought, well, this is going on my roadmap. <laughs> Yeah. Immediately, because I'm a fan of Daniels, even though he speaks like a, uh, uh, I don't know, like a little person tulip in the garden when he talks. <laughs> like, hey, what's up, baby? But he's got a very strange voice. Doesn't match his uh, physique in no. at all. So, although the tight, the tightest pants in the world might not explain why he talks as high as he does. Yes. Uh, uh, but anyway, so I, I picked this film. And so we've been looking forward to doing this one for a long time. And uh, we finally did it. So I'll give you the... There's no real plot synopsis. There's just a tagline. Judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, this is Capital Punishment, directed by David Huey, 1991. Large William, what did you think of this film? All right. So it should be said that we've we've said that David, a.k.a. Baby, uh, <laughs> he his pedigree as a filmmaker is akin to one Godfrey Ho. Uh, yes. So much so. Um, to, to, to bring it back to Metal Mikey for a moment, because it all comes back to the Viennese Prince oh, in nice. the end. Uh, our friend David Huey, and clearly Metal Mikey's friend, was the executive producer on Pocket Ninjas. <laughs> well, of course. That, that, that Robert, Z- Robert Zadar joint that Mikey uh, <laughs> has such a fondness for. So It's, it's all coming clear now. <laughs> yes, as as Celine said, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, his his uh, directorial film biography uh, is uh, <laughs> it's it's not it's not impressive <laughs> to say the least. No, and this is a guy who's you know clearly he's worked as a cinematographer, editor, second unit director, stunts actor, jack of never has the phrase jack of all trades, master of none been more applicable, <laughs> I think, than yeah. with uh, with good old baby Huey. So anyway. I digress. <laughs> Let's get into one of the greatest titled films uh, in the history of our show, Kickbox Terminator. Yes. Um, you know, both of us have said we're fans of Gary Daniels. He's he's really kind of a low rent uh, martial arts action star. You know, he's got he's got the look and he does have the skill, but the problem is, yeah. he, you know, he's never quite had even a modest budget. Mm-hmm. Um, if if if, if John Claude Van Damme is a B movie hero, then Gary Daniels is a C movie hero. I'll tell you this: if the stars had aligned a little differently, Daniels could have been JCVD, and JCVD could have been Daniels. Yes, yes, it's just a matter of luck between the two. Yeah, absolutely, man. Right, right place, absolutely. right, right place, right time. Really, basically. Yeah, yeah, the very similar. So you know, it's got David Carradine, like we said, who's really saxoning it up, uh, <laughs> a la Hands of Steel in this one. Which yeah, I'll- yeah, which, which by saying <laughs> that, yeah, he showed up and basically did all of his scenes uh, on a phone. Yeah, yeah, precisely. <laughs> oh my God, uh, David Huey was the cinematographer. Or oh, hang on, what was he? I'm hang on, I'm just, I'm just pulled this up. So give me just. A it's second. just in. <laughs> yeah, he is the cinematographer on a David Hevner film that I own called Twisted oh. Justice. Oh wow, with, I with, think I might own that one. Yeah, with the Hevner, Don Stroud, Eric Estrada, 
Shannon Tweed. I don't think this is. Oh my the- God! Don Stroud, Eric Estrada, <laughs> Shannon Tweed, and Hevener. Oh, and Jim Brown too, by the way. Come, not the Jim Brown. Yeah, the Jim Brown. <laughs> oh man, wasn't that the one we talked about? Like where we we were stunned that Hevener had roped all these people in. Yeah, well, it's one of them. He, he, somehow one he ropes people in all the time, man. <laughs> this guy's fucking. He's he, you know he clearly he's got some great private eyes taking compromising pictures of people, man. Yeah. Because pocket ninjas probably. Pocket ninjas, precisely. Um, so this film, yeah, it starts two minutes, 28 seconds in. Daniels isn't afraid to show us how tough and oiled his tits are. Oh, man. People are wet in this movie a lot. Yeah. Daniels really does take it to the next level. Um, he wears a lot of spandex. Oh, God. A lot of, you know, he, he's got, you know, the oiled, uh, he's, he's always oiled up. So it's pretty great. And, you know, to be fair, he is in really good shape. You oh, know, yeah, all yeah. joking aside. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's an athlete. I mean, he's. Uh, you know, the scene in uh, The Expendables is another good example. Gary Daniels can hold his own when it comes to shooting kung fu in movies or karate or whatever you want to call it. Well, we'll just say martial arts, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely he can. But he's just been saddled with people who don't know how to shoot it or choreograph it. And, you know, it's almost like Roberto Clemente on those Pittsburgh Pirate teams. Not to say he's quite as good as Clemente, but you kind of get the idea. Yeah. Or Barry Sanders on those Lions teams. Again, not as good as Sanders, but, you know, yeah. can't do much... Uh, can't make chicken salad or the chicken shit, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are good examples, though. That is how I feel about Gary Daniels' career. This is actually, yeah. this, and by the way, this is actually our second Gary Daniels film. Yeah, we've done more Gary Daniels than we have Lee Marvin. Figure that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, well, I'm sure you've heard of dinner theater, but I guess in this universe, dinner theater has a bit of a different meaning. It usually means, I guess in this world, it means tie boxing matches. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to eat there, though, man, because sweat and and liquids are flying off of people. It's disgusting. It is. And, you know, everyone seems to be pretty even keeled in their clapping. Like, they, for some reason, they pipe in all the clapping. Like, they put it in in post. It's almost like clapping from, like, Tecmo... (laughs) Uh, technical football, man. Like it's just, it's just terrible. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but let me add about the pants thing. The spandex are bad enough, but the fucking guy wears mom pants in this. And by mom pants, what I'm basically saying is, he's got these stonewashed jeans he wears, and he wears them up to just like Jean Claude Van Damme. He wears them up to his fucking chest. Oh yeah. And the only thing he's missing is a fanny pack. And this yeah. guy, this guy is somebody's mom walking around an amusement park. Mm-hmm. That's what the, the, those pants were hideous. I, they were driving and there's, there's me crazy. There's pleats in them too. Yeah, they were driving me nuts, man. I couldn't. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual male, regardless of what anybody thinks. Listens to this show, <laughs> and, and I'm watching this movie, and I can't quit looking at Gary Daniels' package because the guy's got fucking camel toe going on. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's not smuggling plums because evidently he doesn't have any. Because no. it looks like he's got a fucking. Well, never mind. I don't Pome- pomegranate seeds. <laughs> yeah. Talk about pleated. Oh, yeah. There's some serious pleats in those pants. Um, I have to ask you, has there ever been an action or martial... Well, I guess no, a martial arts movie, more or less. Has there ever been a martial arts movie where, you know, the good guy kicks the bad guy down and the good guy turns around and walks away when his back's turned that the bad guy hasn't attacked him? Uh, Has that ever happened? I I don't know. Uh, That's a tough question, actually. (laughs) I would say no. It's it always happens. It's in it's in this, of course. Yep. No, I don't know if you caught this. I hope you did because I caught the pancake in the last one. Apparently, Stan Lee is a dinner theater Muay Thai enthusiast. Did you see that guy look like Stan Lee in the front row, clapping and smiling? I did see a guy that looked similar to Stan Lee. Yes, and I looked yeah. through the credits to see if Stan Lee was in the movie. That would have been awesome if he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, so we, we talk about Daniels, and I have to say the formula for Daniels, Daniels really is Seagal hair, 
plus JCVD Swagger, plus Canadian Tuxedo in different colors. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's not afraid to roll the Canadian Tuxedo in many different variations, different colors, so I have to give full credit to him for that. Um, what does this even mean? <laughs> oh. Oh, this is a dark fucking film. Uh, yes. Yeah. You mean by you mean that by that you mean murky. Murky. Okay. It's it's you know clearly it looks like a VHS transfer, but even beyond that, um, Baby Huey doesn't light the film very well because there's a scene that is just so brutal, man. Where they pull Daniel the cops or whoever I can't remember who has the DEA or whoever they pull in Daniels and the one the, the camera's on the one cop, and it's like mid sentence like the sun went down during that scene, and like it's just black and you just hear the guy's voice basically. <laughs> yes. It's like there was no lights. Like they just, just said, fuck it. It's not, again, natural lighting this time around. It's, this is a weird movie because it literally, it literally just goes, <clears throat> uh, I'm trying to say how I want to say it literally just goes, once it gets the action going, there's only a little bit of downtime. It literally goes from action set piece to action set piece. Wouldn't you say, even if the yeah. action set pieces are questionably any good in some, that, that hallway fight scene is one of the most terrible fight scenes I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Things are very poorly executed. There's no energy. There's no pace. There's no... Well, it's one, it, to give, give our listeners an example, it's one of those kind of martial arts films where you can see, actually see the characters waiting for the blow to come. Like, oh, yeah. You, you can see the rehearsal. You can see it coming. Oh, yeah. No, I know. It's, it, it, it's terribly done, and that's the thing. I mean... I got to give the film credit for being pacey and yeah. having variation in the set pieces, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as minor as scale as they may be. Yeah, but well, it is pacey. Yeah, they tried. Uh, it's they just, tried. It's, they tried with the set pieces. They, they, they did try, man. But they're working with clearly inept people. Yes. Um, but uh, I put this in here. I don't know what this means. Maybe you can just I put sword move pretty impressive. Is there a sword? Uh, yeah, there's a scene where his sensei uh, cuts. Oh, the, with the watermelon. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Cuts off the top of the watermelon and then slices it down the middle while on Gary Daniel's stomach. So I don't know how they pulled that one off. Yeah, well, they pulled it off because they have Laser Ninja from American Ninjas, the main bad guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that main bad guy is always, you know, I mean, uh, again, I'll say my note says there: movie rules state swimming pool equals people fall in. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he has Absolutely. to he has to put his guys to teach them a lesson. He has to put them in the pool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tadashi Yamashita, he was always the, the, the fill-in guy um, in a lot of early martial arts and ninja movies. Oh, yeah. You've seen that guy. You've seen him countless times if you watch martial arts films. Yeah, like he was in the octagon. He always, to me, will be Laser Ninja from uh, <laughs> from uh, American Ninja, though. Um, the sound in this is really bad. I hate movies like this where... Especially, you know, now having wives that work opposite schedules and, and babies around. It's like they're talking and it's so quiet. So you turn that fucking TV up and oh, yeah. then there's like a gunshot or music and it's so loud. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I had the same problem because my wife was trying to sleep and the baby was trying to sleep. I'm jamming this thing. And uh, then all of a sudden it just it gets so loud the speakers distort. So and oh, yeah. it's just it's just messed up. Oh, yeah. I remember the. This guy, I was thinking of another film that he was in, uh, you were talking about, and he was in uh, Jim Cotta as well. Yep, yep, that's right, he was. Um, who, who, in your opinion, is, is one of the, who, who writes great dialogue? I mean, we talk, obviously, about Tarantino and stuff, but who else? Uh, Mamet, uh, who else writes really good dialogue? Uh, 
Well, off the top of my head, it's going to be kind of hard to come up with something. I didn't expect that question. Let, tonight. Let's say, let's say Mamet. Yeah. Well, I think I can definitely not say David Baby Huey. So, <laughs> well, Baby Huey apparently is good friends with Mamet because there's there's one scene that has that Mamet rat a tat tat pacing where um, Gary Daniels first meets our our Coogie, uh DEA agent, sassy Coogie DEA agent, and she says to him, "Drop your gun," and he says, "Drop yours." And he says, I asked first. And she goes, I asked second. Yes. And they just kind of look at each other for a minute. <laughs> just uh, oh, it's, pretty, the- it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by bad, we mean really fucking bad. No, it's really fucking. I mean, yeah, by bad, I mean, I know we say that a lot on the show. And, you know, I know that people know that Large William and I are fans of, of, of bad movies as well as good movies and blah, blah, blah. But some of the writing and some of the dialogue in this film is... Um, I think the right word would be painful to listen to some of it. Yes. Yes. It, it's pretty good. It's like watching, you know, it, it, it's, you know, people know what this movie, this movie, it's a, it's a YouTube, it's a, it's a 90 minute YouTube clip. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> um, I think that Huey must, his, his dad must have owned, uh, for a living, they must have earned their, their gravy in uh, Venetian blind sales. <laughs> Because every fucking scene has Venetian blinds in it, man. Um, well, they come in handy when it comes to hiding the studio lights behind the windows, probably, because the three-wall sets they built. Oh, yeah. It's, I think there's one scene where they try to pass off like a local church or rec center as a bar. Because you can see <laughs> yeah. the, the Coogie DEA agents fighting in the hallway, and there's like um, stained glass windows. I got to ask, have you ever been intimidated by a thug by him throwing change at you? Uh, well, that's, I'll, I'll tell you about the change, because that's a great moment, actually. <laughs> Um, I'll get to it in a moment here. Um, there's so many great ex- like um, like henchmen in this visually. Yeah. Um, like there's the trainer with the pedo stash, the mullet, and the surf style shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great. Um, Scott oh. Shaw. Scott Shaw's in this now. Scott Shaw plays Mr. Cool. He's the uh, blonde, long hair guy. Oh, I love him. I wish there was more of him. Yeah, he, him, and, him, and our, him and Arsenio Hall. Now, his filmography is pretty great. He's he makes a lot of really uh, low budget uh, action movies. And I plan on working some of his really bad films. He was in Pocket Ninjas. He's in Hollywood Cops, Shotgun Boulevard. One of my favorites is, uh, uh, which I think we're going to do on the show at some point in time. I think it's called Toad Warrior, where he oh, plays wow. a character named Max Hell. So uh, oh, he, he's he's got the right level of douchiness to be entertaining. Works with Joe Estevez a lot, so I think it tells you everything you need to know. And apparently separated at birth from Shadow Stevens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I got to see Rock and Roll Cops Part Two: The Adventure Begins. Oh, who else is in that? Tell me someone. There's some. Throw us a bone. Um, who else is in that? Nah, nobody. Rock and roll cop. Where's, who's in part one? That's the sixty-four thousand dollars question. It's just got. If, it's if Wings is in that. It's fuck Halloween next week. We're doing rock and roll cops. It's a uh, rock and no, no. Oh well, part two is good though. Part two's got David Hevner and William Smith and Robert Zadar and Julie oh Strain. Come on, you're joking. You're lying. That's the Christmas episode. Lockdown. <laughs> Wow. What a cast! Oh man, listen to this. Uh, listen to this. Uh, listen to this tagline: with a guitar in one hand, a gun in the other, they kick Hollywood's butt. <laughs> and this was made in two thousand and three. Oh that's God. the saddest part. Oh man, that's too good, man. That is too good. We got it. We we got it. I gotta get tracked down. Rock and roll cops too, man. Just all you gotta do really is look at Scott Shaw's filmography, and you will find a potential amount of gold that you did not expect 
Yeah, I feel like a 49er, man. I'm like mining and just hit the jackpot with this guy. It's got a fucking movie called Samurai Johnny Frankenstein. What the fuck is that? Wow. (laughs) How could this golden goose be laying all these eggs right under our noses for all these years? Ghost taxi. There's so many fucking... Oh wow! There's so many bad fucking movies here. What's what's his name again? Not Shadow, not Shadow Stevens, clearly, but uh, Scott Shaw. Oh yeah, Scott Shaw. Yeah. Let's go here, Scott Shaw. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll do my notes. What while you're doing it, I'll have to chime in with a few. Oh, Samurai Vampire Bikers from Hell, 1992. <laughs> Jesus, this guy this guy wears a red gi with a straight face. Well, in his, in his biography, it says uh, he is often called Swami or Baba by his friends because this is an obvious reference to the time he spent in India as a monk. Oh, I got to tell you, his IMDb shot when you click on his 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 um his profile is so incredible. That picture is so incredible. I think is he wearing a Mandarin collar or, or or a bolo tie or something? I can't tell. His shirt's so black. I can't tell either. What an incredible! This guy is incredible. I can't believe this guy. I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying over here. <laughs> oh yeah, this is good, man. This guy, this guy out heaveners the heavener by the looks of it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like he could be uh, an interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, whatever. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll 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 have to dedicate some time to Scott Shaw clearly, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, where are we here? Oh. Um, Okay, there's a lot of Zubaz in this, too, which is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got the Zubaz. I want to also mention that other uh, character actor. He's only in it briefly, but his name is Gerald Okamura. I wrote it down. Uh, Gerald Okamura, he's been in a ton of fucking movies. Everything uh, up to G.I. Joe like a, recently, the Rise of Cobra, he was in that. He's the guy, he looks like a, like a late 70s, early 80s, like Tanaka, or one of these wrestlers, that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's bald-headed, he's got kind of the... Beefy Japanese dude. Yeah, yeah, he's got kind of like the Fu Manchu mustache type thing going. Yeah, he's lot, great, man. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and and everybody has seen him thousands of times and everything. He was in the Octagon as well. But him and Al Long are like the two. Al Long, as some people would say, uh, those two. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're like the two go-to kind of Asian bad guys. Yeah, which uh, I think both of them are in big trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, they probably are. I'm yeah. sure they are, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, oh, man. It should be said there are a few pretty good explosions in this, including one of the greatest, if most illogical, car explosions in the history of cinema. <laughs> oh god, it's there, so ridiculous, man! I've, there are so many explosions in this film. Not so many, I should say, but they are so uh, ferocious. Yeah, they are. There's a scene where they set up a, a gas leak from a stove. Now, I know a thing or two about explosions. I know that those are usually like a like a flash explosion. When gas ignites, when natural gas ignites, it's usually it can be intense, but it's usually a flash. Okay, this this explosion of this apartment or house they're in it rivals the fucking explosion in the Wraith when they blew up that warehouse. It is a serious <laughs> explosion, and it it, it pops it pops off like a second time. Like you know, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. You yeah, know, it's really it's really good. And then that car really fucking goes up. Like the guy makes a sudden turn, and then instantly, like instantly, just. Boom. My question is, when did Gary Daniels get a motorcycle? I don't think they ever established a motorcycle, and then all of a sudden he's on a motorcycle. Yeah, it was really weird, and apparently he's so intimidating that he can intimidate a man in a car when he's riding a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. It's it's incredible. I do have to wonder, you know, we're talking about you know Gary Daniels and Red Geese and this and that. Daniels would have been great as Ken in the Street Fighter movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Like, yeah. I almost wonder if JC, but he was like, nah, I'm nixing that. That's a little too close to home. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be eating my food soon, so i got to keep this guy away. Yeah, because they are, I mean, for those of you who just don't know anything about Gary Daniels, I mean, they're incredibly similar, JCVD and Gary Daniels. Very similar. I would say, as far as acting goes, and well, I think JCVD is a better actor. Yeah, but, but not by a ton. Not by a ton, no. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a very slim margin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. A, it is a, a slim margin. Um, you talked about this. Now I'll mention it. There's that great showdown with, um, and this is great because throughout the film, Gary Daniels wears acid wash jeans, and then he meets his match, um, who wears stone wash jeans, which are like the gray version of acid wash. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for another piece of attire she wears. And and he throws down the keep the change, and he's whipping quarters. He's dropping the quarters. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty fantastic. Um, this is great. There's a battle that takes place, and it probably sounded cool on paper to Hugh, Baby Huey and company, but it comes off as so ridiculous. There's a scene when Gary Daniels uses flashlights. And see, any of our listeners who whoever used to be like in like the rave scene, they'll know what I mean. You probably know too, Sammy. I used to go to a lot of raves way, way, way back in the day, and you always get these fucking douches who they'd be hopped up on E!, and they'd get their glow sticks, and they'd do what they called a light show for you. Most times, it was guys like flailing their arms wildly, thinking that they're entertaining, but they look like idiots. That's how Daniels was. It was like this, like inept 17-year-old trying to do a light show with glow sticks. Uh, yeah, and they, and they were these, uh, they were the, uh, I would say, police-issue flashlights, right? The yeah, long, like the mag lights or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like the long handle flashlights. Uh, yeah, you know what? You're totally right about that. That, that probably sounded like a good idea at the time. Yeah, and then they shot it, and they were like, "You know what? We don't have enough money to go back and shoot it. We're just gonna have to stick with this." Let's roll with it. Yeah, I'm still yeah. I'm still laughing at Scott Shaw because he's got a character he plays in a movie called Hitman City. His character name in the movie is Big Action. Oh, I see that. Yeah, and he's also <laughs> plays Elijah Star in Vampire Boulevard. <laughs> oh, I, I I could go on for days about this. Whoa, whoa! Quest of the Invisible Ninja, Johnny Wasteland. <laughs> Wow. I could go on this for guy, hours. This guy keeps Samurai Ballet. Alexander <laughs> Hell is his name in that one. <laughs> this guy apparently loved the Samurai stuff. He did Samurai Ballet. Then he also did Atomic Samurai. And and he played Sam Rockmore in that. Yeah, yeah. Legend of the Rollerblade 7. I think I've actually... I may have seen that. Oh, wow. Now that he one, was in Saved by the Bell. Now that one, the Rollerblade 7 films, I believe... Yeah, they have a good cast. Uh... Frank Stallone, well, oh, you know, that, that's a matter of opinion, but in our opinion, yes. That well, is. He plays a character in that film called The Black Knight, so right there you're in. Uh, nice. Karen Black, Don Stroud, Joe Estevez, and William Smith are all in those movies. Wow, that is a good cast. No, that is good, man. Wow. And here's an actor whose real name, his real name is Joe Coolness. Come on. And he plays a character in this called Axeman with three X's. Oh, nice. This is this has turned into this, this treasure trove of ridiculousness that I can't get past right now. See that see that you have to see that the door closed a little bit on Baby Huey for us, but it opened for Scott Shaw. Um, I'll try to zip through my notes. I had so many more. Apparently, and I, I'm no expert. You know, I'm not really into as much as I respect Eastern philosophy and so forth. Mm-hmm. I didn't know up until this point that if you meditate and you, you're into Eastern philosophy and so forth, and you're meditating that the the best way to go about it is is to lather yourself in baby oil and wear tight jeans and go shirtless. Oh yeah, yeah. But well, evidently, kind of you know, I, tr- I tried it immediately after watching this movie. Yeah, I, I looked like a piece of bacon. 
So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of great screenwriting, there's that that genius line where they're and they they rope in some like deformed baby. I, I didn't quite understand what's going on. Like, well, the, that, there's, that's there's really, a subplot with a drug of some sort. Yeah, yeah. And what's weird is, is they keep saying nine out of ten babies will be affected, and I'm like, wait a minute, that that's like that's that's a seriously high ratio. Yeah, uh, I mean that's ninety percent. That, that I mean we're talking. There should be just a this movie should have just turned into a bunch of deformed babies. Uh, running around all over the, like the brood, like the brood. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't, and I never really ever even. I'll be honest with you, I never even cared about that part of the story. No, pointless. But it did give us one of the most brilliantly conceived and delivered lines uh, when there's like an Asian kind of uh, uh, like Asian American, um, like a forensics guy, and he goes, "Well, I'm no podiatrist, nor am I a pedophile, but it looks like this." And I'm thinking to myself. Hang on, you're not a foot doctor or a pedophile? <laughs> I don't see the correlation between foot doctoring and this, but okay. Um, we, I, I briefly touched on the Arsenio Hall that uh, gets his ass kicked while the Golden Goddess turns his back. That yeah. guy was great. I wish, him yeah. in, I wish he had been in it more, too. Um, okay, where are we here? Fuck, it's... I'm still. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm still cold. laughing at Scott Shaw. <laughs> there was that moment with I, I guess it's not Shaw, but it's the, one of the stonewashed henchmen where he throw when he throws the quarters on. He says, "These are for you. Call nine one one." Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah and, it, and, it was funny. I was thinking, there thinking. I was like, you know, I wonder if Will's ever been intimidated by somebody throwing change at him first. Not so much. <laughs> oh no, sorry. You know what? But then isn't there a payoff with Daniels whipping someone with a roll of quarters to in a sock or something? I can't remember now. I thought I saw that, but it seems like uh, there was something like that. So I know it sounds yeah. crazy, but I can't recall. Uh, there's a white low rent version of Mr. T swinging a sledgehammer in a room full of blocks of ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that seems pretty good visually. Actually, it is. I mean, it's a little bit slower than I'm sure they would have. <laughs> Liked it to be considering the slippery slope, literally, <laughs> yeah. uh, that they were on. Uh, like, you know, I don't think that the white Mr. T swung the sledgehammer with as much emphasis as he would have liked, considering he probably would have ended up on his ass. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, again, there's more purple golf shirt, red Zubaz pants uh, glory in this. And then I love that uh, <laughs> fucking Gary Daniels' wife is like this orange Oompa Loompa Tracy Pollen lookalike. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love how cunty she is. It's such a great like reveal. I I just it was yeah. so great. That's Ava Fabian, which I'm thinking I've seen her in something else. I'm yeah, a, probably a few Andrew Stevens films. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through her filmography as we speak right now. Um, and I love how Daniels has the fake spit on her. Like it's so obvious that he doesn't spit on her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was great. That was like the worst sell of a, of a move ever. Oh, she was um, in uh, she was in Ski School. Oh, nice. So I have With, seen uh, Dean Dean uh, Dean Cameron, yeah. I was going to say Dean Conde. Fuck, it would have been a different film with him on the slopes. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he, he would have been at the hot tub the whole time. Uh, yeah. Laser Ninja's hair is so feathered and awesome. It's like kazoo, a black version of Kazoo's helmet. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is incredible helmet hair. Um, Although I will say for the record that Laser Ninja looks incredibly like Don Ho. Yeah. So, so yep. the, the, at the end of this movie, I'm sitting there thinking, Gary Daniels is kicking the shit out of Don Ho. <laughs> Yeah, Hawaii is is in a state of uh, you know alert right now. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting there humming. Uh, I'm humming tiny bubbles as I'm watching the yeah, end yeah. of this film. <laughs> that one's for you, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I love Laser Ninja because Laser Ninja 
moves by Kasugi, closed by Color Me Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, man. That guy rocks more silk shirts than anyone since, like, the early 90s. It's just incredible, man. Um, there's a lot of butterfly knives in this film that seems to be the weapon of choice for villains. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, to, to, I guess in all seriousness for a moment, the rooftop battle with Laser Ninja versus Daniels was interesting. Um in that it was two competent fighters, so it did kind of speed up a little bit and look a little more yeah. exciting. And you know, you could kind of got a little more okay. It's the best fight. It's the best fight in the film. Oh yeah, and I do think they played it kind of interesting. Where the sensei, it's that old thing that the sensei turns on the student, or the student turns on the sensei. But this one's the sensei on the student. I, I thought it was interesting that he kept trying to give him mercy. Mm-hmm. It was just, just walk away, just walk away. I, I thought it was kind of an interesting little wrinkle. Okay. You know, I mean, it was kind of a throwaway thing, but it, I don't know. I kind of liked it. Mm. Sadly, there was no dummy off of the roof. No, I was waiting for it. Yeah, sadly, we didn't get that. Um, and then I, I said, my you know, my last note is, um, holy shit, Carradine left his Venetian, uh, Venetian-lined paradise. <laughs> you know, he's got that moment where he's in a truck. It's just like it's just like Saxon in Hands of Steel. Office, phone, helicopter for one minute. You know, end of movie. It's, it's, so. it's so ridiculous, though. It's like office, phone. Okay, now David Carradine's driving a semi. <laughs> Yes, driving a semi with a brick cell phone in his hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, these these guys showing up for these you know twenty thousand dollar paydays probably. Yep, yep, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Do all their scenes in like two days. <laughs> and this is a this is a healthy uh, Carradine. He's pretty chubby in this. Got some a uh, little bit of puffiness to his face. Oh yeah. Uh, hey, not not as drawn as he would become. No. <laughs> so. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Just kind of weird seeing him. Actually, uh, is that all your notes? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I, there was just I, I don't know how you trimmed down that much goodness. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you covered a lot of stuff that I had as well. Um, all right, I've already told the story how this guy on the roadmap. Uh, we talked about this huge cell phones. This film's you know it's a <laughs> it's a slight step above the the Godfrey Ho stuff. I mean, well, actually, I'd say it's a couple steps above the Godfrey Ho stuff. Especially Godfrey Ho's really hack and slash stuff. But I mean, this, this isn't as good as like Undefeatable. No. It's no. nothing like that. And, you know, we had a lot of fun talking about it. I think uh, that's one thing. But I think, you know, when I actually critique it here a little bit, you know, it would be a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked about almost everything. Let's see here. I'm trying to see. Uh, so the What? Who, who gets arrested? There's a scene where somebody Daniels. Gets, oh, Daniels yeah. gets arrested. Oh, yeah, where he gets arrested, man. It's just fucking, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. It, it, it's the, it's the when, he, when he breaks free from the arresting thing, there's a scene where he leg sweeps somebody. He is, he's like 20 feet. He's, it seems like he's 20 feet away, and you see, you see a guy falling down in the background. It's, it's really bad. Uh, that scene was rough. Uh, there's another fight scene, actually, too. Uh, some really cheesy fighting. Uh, my note is some of the cheesiest fighting I've ever seen to take over a Ford Bronco. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, this Ford Bronco yeah. pulls up, and a couple toughs get out. And we know they're toughs because they only wear black. You know, so yeah. it's, it's one of those kind of movies <laughs> with like fucking Oakleys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's some pretty clumsy fighting in that scene. Uh, we talked about the massive explosions. Um, there is a slight twist in the movie. I, I'm amazed you didn't mention that the fact that uh, his uh, DA for girlfriend or whatever she becomes his partner. At one point, she shows up, man. She's got the black uh, members only going. Oh fuck! I somehow missed that. <laughs> yeah, she had the black members only going. I was like, nice, nice. We haven't oh, had one man. in a while. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the film is fun. But here, here's the thing: 
I, I can't rate it real high because no. I don't know how much rewatch value it has, and I don't know how I can recommend it to people listening to the show. This isn't like a unde- an undefeatable or a uh, uh, you know or a bulletproof or something like that. These movies we like to watch. Uh, it's got there's even though it's action packed, it's got a little too much downtime. That lame old uh, birth defect storyline makes no sense. Oh, you you brought it up. It makes no sense. I don't know what the hell's oh. going on there. Every time they brought it up, I tuned out. I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty lame, man. It really was. I'll tell you, before we jump off the Coog, the Coogie sassy DEA agent, didn't she look like fucking Kim Carnes, man? Yeah, she did. She did. She did. There's some weird. There's some scenes where she's taking care of uh, of Gary, and Gary's getting upset. Oh, with well, the scene where he's drugged, and it looks like he's trying to push out a pine cone out of his ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to tell uh, teach Gary how to act uh, stone on the camera. <laughs> he didn't. He actually he acts better stone when he's like supposed to be sober than he does when he's stoned. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah we talked about. It. I mean, Gary Daniels. I mean, I'm sure we'll come. I, I like Fist of the North Star. I mean, that's an average yeah. uh, kind of film. Uh, and I've seen some other stuff he's done. Is good. He was good in the Expendables. So it, it's one of those situations where you're right, like you said. I mean, he just hasn't really had the the kind of He's just not really had support. The, yeah, the support, the talent behind the camera that, you know, his uh, his talent really kind of and he does have some talent. I mean, let's be honest. He does. Absolutely. As much as we want to crack jokes. Listen, he's he's not Juilliard. That's not his thing. His thing is to look good and to and to fight. And he can do both those things. It's just no one's there to really show off his his strong points like they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was in Pocket Ninjas as well. I mean, he's been in some bad movies. <laughs> So it's not like, uh, oh my God, let me see, I got to click on this movie. It's another one of these David Huey movies, or at least David Huey wrote it, but it's called Reptilicant. Not rep, not Replicant, Reptilicant. So I guess oh, it's wow. like, a, I got I to gotta read the synopsis here. Hang on, we got to do this one live. A team of treasure hunters take over Alcatraz Island in search of diamonds and encounter a shape-shifting alien. Of course they do. Okay, oh. I'm not going to watch that one probably. <laughs> Who knows, if we pick it for the show, I probably will. Yeah. <laughs> wow, he's in the new Tekken movie. I didn't know that. This guy has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten films coming out this year and next year. You know what's incredible about uh, Scott Shaw? <laughs> well, uh, besides, besides everything, yeah, really. Yeah. What else is incredible about Scott Shaw? The fact that he's directed. How many films do you? Think, <laughs> how many films do you think he's directed? I don't. I don't even. I, he's directed. He's written and directed almost everything he's done. He's directed forty-eight fucking movies. <laughs> Jesus, my God, man! Oh my lord! And wow, what's this one here called? Naked Avenger. Oh, he's in the new Chupacabra film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has got this Naked Avenger's got Jill Kelly. I'm guessing this is either a porn or Jill Kelly trying to go straight. Huh. No kidding. Every film he does is called a Zen film, so whatever. <laughs> oh, he's one of those douches that thinks he's into Eastern philosophy. I'll tell you, man, I'm going to sound more and more like Snidely Sneed's dog if we stay on Scott Shaw's biography, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> Vampire noir, yin-yang insane. Th- these are clearly, clearly show-show movies. Yeah. I actually talked to Miles about one of his movies. I told him about the one I was thinking about, the uh, Max Hell and Frogtown movie, whatever it was called. <laughs> I was telling him about that one, so he acted interested. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean, I've seen worse movies than this, obviously, but I've seen a lot more movies better than this. And we talk a lot about the, off the air about how action movies can—they're kind of like 
sometimes they're a little bit uh, bulletproof when it comes to aging because even when they age badly, they're still kind of fun. Whereas, like, some films, you know, don't age well. Like, uh, horror films sometimes. Sex comedies age really badly. Oh, uh, yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, there's fun stuff to go back and look at, but it ages badly, you know. So, but action films, because they're pretty much black and white, right? I mean, uh, they, don't, they don't age as badly. But this one, this one obviously, is pretty average right from the get-go. So, well, uh, all I can really say to end my part of the review is, you know, viewer beware. That's all I can really say. Uh, if you're a Mike Gary Daniels completist... And you have to own a film called Kickbox Terminator. <laughs> or if you're a Scott Shaw completist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his, his acting in this movie is terrible, too, by the way. He's only, it's, it's a shame. I wish he was like um, uh, like the shark tooth necklace to uh, Swayze. I wish he was like that. Well, I have no Daniels. doubt that there's a film with Scott Shaw wearing a shark tooth necklace somewhere. There has to be. And I, I'm willing to bet he wears a yin-yang necklace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can see David Carradine said if he was actually around the other actors saying, what a fucking tool. <laughs> uh, there's actually, there's another film known as Kickbox Terminator called Blood Hands. Which oh, is really, wow, that sounds quite nice. Which is really weird, because why would two films be known as Kickbox Terminator? Seems like, actually, here's another one. With a title that good, why wouldn't you want to call it Kickbox Terminator? There's Terminator Woman. I saw that one. I meant to look into it, actually. That was a, that was a promising title. Wow, that box art is amazing. Did you see oh, the box I'm, art? I'm getting, I'm getting there right now, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. No, I don't know anybody in this movie, but that box art's pretty amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can't recommend it to everybody, but, you know, if you want to have fun, uh, you want to make fun of uh, some bad pants and some bad hairstyles, then I think you could, you could do worse, but, yeah. I don't think it's as fun as, as we had reviewing it, though. Yeah. No. Well, I think our scores are going to show that. So I'll go ahead and kick it yeah. over to you, and you can... I had a really hard time picking an MVT for this film. I still haven't picked one. So oh, okay. I'm working on it right now. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to rattle my brain for something. Okay. Um, uh, okay, I'll get into my stuff. So I was looking at Terminator Woman. I know I've seen Jerry Trimble in something. Uh, he's actually a Kentucky native. Wow, good looking. I know where I've seen Jerry Trimble. I think he was in Force 5 with um, with uh, Joe, what's his name? And uh, and um, Benny the Jet. I'll look into that in a minute. Um, Make or Break is the last 20 minutes of this film. It's when the, really the diversity starts to get ramped up and they're kind of they're trying to build it up to something and, and at least get that rooftop battle, which like I said, is solid all things considered but the problem is as frequent as a lot of the fights are and that is my mvt um they're not very good mm-hmm. you know they're very they're slow they're lazy they're plotting they're not very good um you know so they're although they're my mvt it's because the film overall is weak that they still are the most valuable thing like if there had been you know half the fights i would have fucking really been bored to tears with this film yeah yeah you know, like, yeah, they're not very good, but at least they keep going and keep going and keep going. Oh, yeah. If, if they would have concentrated more on that uh, drug story, which they already concentrate too much on it, but if they would have done it even more, I would have been done. I don't yeah. even know if I could have made it through this film. Yeah. No, I know. It would have been too much, man. Too much. Um, my score is a 5 out of 10. Yeah. Maybe 5, 5.25. I mean, you know, it's one of those. It's, it's I, I'm not angry after watching it. You know, it. It was okay. Um, not great, definitely. Yeah. And like I said, I think if you didn't hear our scores, you'd think that this is like a classic for us. It's not. I just think it's because you and I can riff on on some of the stuff we both get a kick out of more than anything. Yeah, that's this. This is one of those situations where it probably makes for an entertaining podcast, but maybe not for an entertaining movie. 
yeah. <laughs> one of those kind of things. Uh, okay, my I'm going to go with the MVT just being Daniels because I do like him. Uh, he's not real good in this movie, but everybody else is so bad. And it, I mean, Carradine really doesn't count because to me, he is doing the Saxon thing in Hands of Steel. He's not really doing anything. He's just talking on ancient phones and and looking at ancient computers. You know, it's just it's not really. It's not. I mean, he's fine in the movie because David Carradine's a good actor. But you know, obviously, you know, he's actually like his dad. You know, he just takes a paycheck wherever he can get a paycheck. Jerry Trimble was in Heat, by the way. Yeah, he was. He played Schultz or something. I saw. He was in one with Billy Blanks too, actually. <laughs> How do you go from that to that? Yes. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, he was in. Uh, oh, he's in Full Contact with Chow Yun Fat. How interesting. I have that. I haven't watched that in a while. I don't remember him in that. Anyway, uh, my make or break, it's going to be a break. And the scene that really pushed me over the edge and really kind of irritated me was the fucking funhouse scene, which neither one of us really talked about. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they they try to mix in this kind of thriller horror element with a funhouse scene. <laughs> with black lighting. and It's ridiculous. He walks in, kicks some ass with people wearing rubber masks, and then walks out. It's really that simple. And there's some really stupid, you know, sound effects and people jumping around. It's just really bad. And it really it really kind of irritated me. It's like, okay, so you got to sell your drugs in a funhouse because, you know, either one, that's where, you know, that's an element where kids are supposed to go. Or is it because it's kind of kooky looking visually? Or it just seemed a little too spot on for me. You know what I think? And, and this is going to maybe sound obvious, but I think you'll know what I mean when I say this. I think the whole film feels rushed. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. it just, I know they obviously didn't have, you know, for eight months to shoot it, but it feels even rushed and more low-budget stuff. Like, you know, everything was just bing, bang, boom. They had an idea, popped in the head, they shot it, and then they moved on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm always sad when yeah. we do these movies that are less popular because, you know, they don't give you the what they cost and everything on IMDb or anything. And I always want to know what these real low-budget films cost, you know? Because it does yeah. feel like they just kind of ran through this really quick because they had to. They had to get it done. Yep. Oh, exactly. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I, I would also like to know some of that stuff sometimes. Yeah, just for the lower budget stuff. I mean, of course, you're always going to get it for the higher budget stuff. But anyway, uh, that, but it's a break scene for me. People always ask about the make or break. This one, this one kind of broke me a little bit. That and the dialogue about the the fucking nine out of ten babies being born. I I know it sounds kind of crass to talk about you know babies being born, but it just it's so ridiculous the way it's handled, and it never they never give you any payoff in it anyway, so it makes no sense. And somehow Gary Daniels is attached, and he's supposed to be getting his girlfriend pregnant, and blah blah blah. And there's a bad twist. Oh god, it's it's really really talk about going from a screenplay that's a pretty much a gem with making County Line to a screenplay that somebody wrote on the back of fucking somebody that had a tattoo, I guess. It was wrote in the inside of a toilet paper roll at a truck stop. <laughs> yeah, with a glory hole on both sides. Uh, <laughs> that would be the GGTMC stall. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Time to go skiing. Yes. <laughs> uh, my score for the film is a little bit lower than yours. I'm going to go with a 4.5. I, I don't even think this was average. I think it was a little below average. I just think it it struggled. It, it really struggled bad for me, so... Uh, I mean, I, I got through it. It wasn't like it was, you know, it wasn't the biggest crime in the world, which is the crime for these films, which is boredom. It wasn't that, but it's just so inept in so many other ways. Yeah, I think if if I hadn't have been as forgiving with Zubaz and Acid Wash as yeah. I am, yeah. if this had have been like a new film, yeah, <laughs> I probably would have dropped the score down half a point or a point. But the mullets and the... You know, the clothing. Oh, yeah, there's, there's some good hair in this. There's one of those henchmen to get out of that Ford Bronco has got an amazing mullet. Oh, yeah, he's got a serious, like a Boz-style mullet where it's like shaved on the sides. Yeah. yeah, it's a serious one. No fucking around, man. That's what happens when you're riding a Bronco. 
<laughs> so uh, that is our thoughts on Kickbox Terminator, a.k.a. Capital Punishment. Uh, we're going to take a break. we got a little bit of listener feedback, and we're going to knock that out. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Frank. And we are from the Are You Serious podcast, and we are here with... Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I think that's awesome, but I also think that I could do the same thing. What are you talking about? It's just great to have you here and to be able to talk to you, even with all the stuff I've said. Don't shoot him. So I guess just to let people know, we we cover movies, video games, and we talk about politics, TV, and uh, people who bother us. Basically, we just skewer pop culture in general. I got a bad feeling about this. I think the show is awesome. You should think it's awesome, too. Don't get excited. Frank can get a little full of himself sometimes. I know. The Are You Serious Podcast is available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. favorite bands actually right there it's called they're called the bottle rockets so love those guys little country rock type stuff yeah yeah nice little groovy song uh, i keep meaning to tell you sorry to you, i keep meaning to tell you thank you for turning me on to the uh the black keys man oh yeah yeah, yeah. i figured you'd probably like those guys yeah good stuff man. yeah yeah nice uh soulful blues type stuff yeah yeah man i this it's like uh i don't know this i might get some heat for this but to me uh, it's almost like uh, if the Strokes were less kind of garagey, early '80s punky stuff, and more kind of soulful or bluesy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a nice kind of yeah. yeah that filter, a, that filtered sound they have. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's actually good. Uh, good. Uh, I haven't heard that uh, comparison, but it's actually pretty spot on. Uh, think about it. Huh. Didn't think about it that way, but now that you mention it, all seems like it goes together. Okay, so we got a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, so let's get into it. We got uh, you got the email up, or you want me to pull it up? Or? Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, a couple right. things, very quickly. Reminders. Oh yeah. Um, I already thanked Scott. Actually, I I called him to thank him. That nice. being Toronto nice. Scott. Yes. Uh, again, Mike Malloy's Scarlet Worm. Check it out over at Twitch. Check out the trailer. Support the movie. Mr. Malloy is in it to win it, and yes. he's also the producer. Um, we're hoping to have Mike back on the show at some point. I think we can say that, right? We're hoping to have him back at some point. Yeah, we are. He'd love to talk about something um, like you know, like like the Dion Brothers or something cool like that. I know, you know, everyone, you know, at some point we've talked about doing the Dion Brothers with someone, with everyone. Yeah, you know, <laughs> on Cool Cat and Miles Loaf. I mean, everyone. It's yeah. just that great of a film. But uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get Mike on at some point. Um, also, Scott, and that's not Toronto Scott, uh, called in last week or wrote in, and he was asking about the theme music at the end. I don't know if you'd sent it to him. Had you sent it to him? Uh, the music we use all the time. Yes. Uh, no. You know what? I don't think I did send it to him. I think I forgot. I know you. I know you said you were going to, and I don't mean to call you out on it, but I was just going to say that was actually freehand for a tough cop. That's the theme, the Claudio uh, Castanelli film, Umberto Lenzi. Yes. Yes. So there you I'm go. glad you mentioned uh, it. Uh, I have sent it out before to uh, people who've asked for it. Uh, I just, I'll be honest with you, I totally forgot. Wow. What, that's a, okay. what a happens, douche. Man. 
That's okay. It happens. Uh, this is very important. I get well to our dear friend, Mike Ensley. Yes. Um, I think this is public knowledge. It's been on the boards and on Facebook and stuff. Mike, our good friend, had a stroke. Yeah. Um, you know, and our our terribly terribly are- shocking news. I mean, it, it just like stunned me out of nowhere. It's like, because I I consider Mike a friend, and it just I just so did not I. expect that, man. Yeah. I, again, I called him because you know it's one of those things. Something like that, or they call the person and say, hey, yeah. you know, just wanted to check in, make sure you're doing okay, and and you know, like I said, Mike is a great friend. A, a, just a great guy. He's been a strong supporter of our show. We're certainly strong supporters of his show um, and everything he does. Uh, and, you know, above and beyond all that, first and foremost, Mike, get better. Hopefully, uh, you know, you uh, – ironically, he's – and he, he made light of this, so I feel comfortable making light of it to a degree. Uh, he's going to have to wear an eye patch uh, for his Halloween costume. So, you know, the Snake Plissken stuff came out, and then I said he could be Lindbergh, and they call her one eye, and someone chimed in with something, and then someone said Rooster Cogburn. So, yeah. anyway, he, his sense of humor uh, is going to serve him well to get through this and, and just get better, buddy. We're, uh, you know, hoping to get you back. So, no eye patches for Halloween next year. Good. Yeah, just uh, get better, uh, Mike. I mean, seriously. I just want you, I just hope, I just wish the best for you, buddy. Yes, I want to see that. Uh, you strutting in that red suit again, man. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to Randy for everything. He knows what we mean by that. Uh, uh, or, yes. or, or as they say en français, merci beaucoup. Yeah, merci beaucoup. <laughs> and uh, one more thing I want to say. I'm not going to name names. I personally would have named, name, named names, but Sammy being the more level-headed gentleman this evening said to me, well, maybe don't name names. Um, everyone should know that we're happy to support people in our community. And I don't just mean people on sort of an inner circle, but anyone who has similar interests, we're happy to support what they do. Mm. But if you want us to support what you do, don't fucking link to something uh, either on our groups or email us something without so much as a fucking introduction. Yeah. Yeah, it's just because we're not going to. We're going to fucking delete it. And if it was up to me, I'd lash you guys out on it more. But it's a, you know, we're not going to, you know. It's just, it's just rude, basically. All I ask is, you know, just get to know us a little bit. That's all I ask. Even if it was like, hey guys, I listened to the show. I'm just getting started as a filmmaker or I'm a blogger or whatever the case may be. Yeah, we're very, um, we're very approachable guys. Trust me. Absolutely, man. Listen, it's all about supporting people that, that, contribute to our community that is the film loving community but don't think you're going to fucking piggyback or squat on what we do to get there without so much as courtesy hey guys how's it going yep. it's not going to work yep. so anyway that aside let's get to our email which is uh, uh, from good friend Matt um, and Matt says listener mail hey gents this is my first time sending in listener feedback to the show but I decided to give it a shot I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and it's my favorite podcast going right now alongside Mondo Movie and Out of the Past. Nice. I discovered your show while reading a podcast about on the AV Maniacs message board. And I want to say as an aside to his email, that is a fucking great board. Not to mm-hmm. – everyone should be on our boards. Yes. But yeah, I would say for my money, outside of the Palover boards, AV Maniacs have the best and most active movie boards that would appeal to our listeners for what it's worth. Yeah, they're pretty popular. Um, they're pretty popular. So. Yeah, really good boards, man. Uh, and then he says, again, my first show was your review of Surviving Edged Weapons, and it was very entertained and hooked by the show. <laughs> if I could give any suggestions for films to cover, I don't think you guys have ever covered the 80s Bronson flick, The Evil That Men Do. Film's right up your alley if you haven't seen it. Bronson plays a retired contract killer who goes after a man who tortures political dissidents for South American dictators. Um, 
Wow, heartburn just kicked in. Wow. Uh, you get a film that is surprisingly relevant to its time, and now with the whole torture angle, with covert support for dictatorships in South America and all kinds of Bronson awesomeness and sleaze. There's gore. There's a bar, bar so sleazy it's skeezy. Death by <laughs> testicle claw. Bronson proposing a three-way in a scene where Bronson scopes out the enemy's house. And it all goes wonderfully wrong in a hilarious way. <laughs> On top of that, you get Bronson being Bronson. This would make for a great GG Teams episode. My apologies if this was too long. Thanks for reading the email, Matt. You know, that's one thing I'll never say in the bedroom is my apologies for this being too long. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I have seen the Evil to Mendu. Uh, I like it. Uh, it's it's one of those things where with Bronson. One of the reasons why we haven't covered so much Bronson is because there's just so much to choose from. I just don't even know where to start. Uh, that We do have another Bronson on the horizon. Uh, we do have more Bronson on the horizon, I should say. There's a lot more stuff coming, but it's just it's really difficult to get uh, squeeze stuff in. We're just always trying to squeeze stuff in. We we create these roadmaps, and, and then we spend all of our time going off the roadmaps. <laughs> so Yeah. It's really, it's really just, you know, there's so much fun to be had talking movies that it's, you know, just like, you know, do I want to do the evil that men do or do I want to do, you know, Bulletproof or do I want to do Kickbox Terminator? You know, it just kind of comes down. And a lot of times we'll pick a film and I just try to pick something totally different just to kind of spice up the show a little bit. So, yes. And I believe I've seen the evil that men do, but I have it on VHS. I always, is that the, I always mix that one up. There's another one he did where he takes on like a satanic cult. Uh, ooh, which one is that? I know that one because I have both of them. Uh, I can't remember the name of that one off the top of my head. That's another puffy face Bronson one. I'm sure. I'm sure Neck knows what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The puffy faced uh, Bronson films are a little different quality wise. Like assassination and kinjite or kinjite, whatever <laughs> Kin- it is. Kinjite, maybe. <laughs> Fucking Murphy's Law, all yeah, those. Yeah, Murphy's Law. Uh, that one. Uh, uh, what's that one called? Something of death or some messenger of death? That's that's this that's the satanic cult one, man. That's more like a kind of a that old southern battle type thing. What's that old the, those two southern families that always the something in McCoys, the Hetfield and oh, McCoys, Hetfield and McCoys. Yeah, it's a little bit more like that. And Bronson gets in the middle. Well, I just forgot what it was called again. What was it called? Uh, messenger of death. Yeah, that's the one. I think the VHS cover, if I remember, has uh, him walking by like a pile of coffins or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. It's got like this really ominous title. I mean, it really does. Messenger of Death. This sounds like something, you know, be really insane. In case you're wondering why it sounds like I'm a little out of it. I'm trying to find a horror film to cover next week that, that's something like, just something that'll blow our socks off. That like nobody would think we would cover. And I'm looking, oh, wow. at, I'm looking all through the 80s. I'm just looking for Ooh. a little gym. Surely I'll find something. Anyway. All right, so we have some voicemail, and thanks for that email. We appreciate that. Really do. And uh, I would not say that the evil men do will not be covered. I mean, I'm sure if it was up to large women, we'd probably cover every uh, Bronson film at some point. So we will. Just, yeah. just be on the lookout for it. Okay, let's see. We got some voicemail. Let's start with Metal Mikey here. Will and Rick, this is Metal Mikey once more. Finally listen to the epic length. 100th episode of Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and indeed, it was an epic of epicosity and grand proportions, and what a way to celebrate your 100th by covering probably one of the best trilogies in film history, and pretty much, it's not like I can really add a whole lot to the discussion, like you both mentioned with your reviews, I mean, 
Yeah, I will admit, though, I am kind of more sided with Will in terms of Fistful of Dollars. I mean, you both were right. It is pretty much, it is a great movie, but it's not exactly the heights that the other two reach. And I've always had the impression that for a few dollars more, it felt a lot more faster paced than the other two. Like, for some strange reason, I get this really vague impression that for a Fistful of Dollars, or for a few dollars more, do. <laughs> it just moves along a lot quicker than the first and the latter entry, but good, the bad, and the ugly will always hold a fun spot in my heart because that is the first ever spaghetti western I've ever watched. In fact, I watched it on the, and this is for all you old schoolers out there, the two VHS edition because <laughs> obviously the three plus hours of it just could not be contained by one VHS tape. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. We had to have two tapes worth of Clint Eastwood being a badass, Eli Wallach being a wise-ass, <laughs> and Lee Van Cleef. Well, I don't know. You get to decide what kind of ass he is, <laughs> but it's not a general ass. The cat's ass. Anyways, excellent episode, and also it warmed my heart to hear so many people congratulating you on 100. It is well-deserved for such a fine, excellent show, which I am never caught up on, but oh well. Oh, and in case it hasn't been confirmed, y'all can look forward to seeing me in Cincy in a few weeks. Oh my god. And also, sometime once Lipson decides that wants to post my episode, you will have a new episode of Extra Tracker soon. Nice. Yeah, I've been struggling with that for the past few days. (laughs) Good times. Anyways, y'all take it easy. I look forward to catching up yet again. And of course, take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, Mikey does bring up an interesting point there. I use Lip, we use Lipson as well, and I do most of the publishing on our end. And uh, Lipson can be a uh, testy bitch sometimes. So everybody out there that uses Lipson, this is no secret to you. But Will doesn't use it. I do the publishing side. And uh, but if he knew, he'd understand too. It can be a, it can just be tricky sometimes. I don't know why. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it uploads. Sometimes it doesn't. It's just really weird. So uh, yeah, that's good. He's going to be in Cincinnati. I was wondering if he's going to be there or not. That's where I met him the first time. So looking forward to seeing him again. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's we're three weeks out or so, man. It's just <laughs> it's amazing. I can't believe how, it's here, man. Yeah, I can't believe go, it's here. Either. Fuck, it's amazing. It's amazing. Bedlam, bedlam. I found the movie I want to cover next week, but I cannot find it anywhere. Are you sure? I'm sure. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mikey. We appreciate that. And yes, uh, people did love the uh, the, the, the the dollars trilogy. The Memento Name trilogy. They did love it. Uh, our fastest downloaded episode. By the way, I can say that publicly. Wow, over a thousand on day one. That was amazing. I don't know. Holy uh, cow! I think some. I think that when you. I think it benefits from the name and Google search. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it does. <laughs> so I was kind of amazed by that. All right, I mean that was like that was like two hours after I put it up. So I mean it's like Jesus, what the hell's going on? I thought it was. Uh, I was contacting Lipson. Like I think your shit's broken. So. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Either that or it was a Sally Field moment for us. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Big Willing the Samurai. It is I, Tom DJ, calling you straight out of Brooklyn from Better in the Dark Laboratories. Finished listening to Savage Sisters, the uh, most recent episode that uh, Sam did with Piccolo. Really was interested in this because not that long ago we did our annual Obscure Horror Movies episode, and I chose Strange Behaviors as one of my choices. Uh it's it's a it's a bizarre little movie, and part of it is because it was produced, and for the life of me, I can't remember this one producer's name, by this like psychotic Australian 
uh, movie producer whose whole idea was he would solicit up-and-coming slash, you know, on their way down American actors and such to come to New Zealand to shoot their movies, and then he would, you know, they would be pseudo-American, and then he would market them to American audiences. Um, and as such, that's why it has this kind of weird, surreal, bizarre feel to it. And one of the reasons I, I do like the film as much as I do is that it's obviously, quote-unquote, a modern-day movie. It, it definitely seems to be contemporary to 1981, but it just feels so 50s. It's like, it's like this big 50s science fiction movie launched 30 years into the future, and it, it <laughs> really is truly odd, and I particularly like uh, Fiona Lewis, who looks like something from out of the 40s on top of that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't in any way pretend that it's a, a great film. In fact, it's absolutely, you know, amazingly flawed. But it, there's just something about that weird sense of unreality that it has. Uh, Strange Invaders, by the way, was in fact a sequel of sorts. Uh, the I'm, I've never got any confirmation about whether uh, Day Young and what's his name, uh, Bear Butt Boy, actually uh, play the same characters, but they get killed in the very early part of that film. It's supposed to take place in the same town, that much I do know. Um, but it's, it's a strange, strange and bizarre movie. There's supposed to be a third one, in fact, that never got made. And incidentally, um, this was originally entitled Dead Kids, but by the time it wrapped up... Um, the Wayne Williams child murders were occurring in Atlanta, and American distributors decided not to use that title because they thought it was insensitive. Yeah. In a rare uh, show of restraint. But very, very strange film. And by the way, I hope you guys enjoyed seeing the fucking selfish man lose as much as I did, although it got a little hairy there for a while after the torrential frickin' uh, flood we had uh, during Monday night. Uh, I wonder, though. You know, we've been we've gone four uh, four games without any interceptions, and Mark Sanchez seems to be actually playing really, really well. Are you nervous yet, Will? Are you? Are you? You should see some of the choices that the uh, Better in the Dark fans are suggesting over at the Better in the Dark message board. I'm just saying it. <laughs> anyway, keep up the good work. Nice. I'm sure I will talk to you again soon. Peace. All right, love Tom. Love love that Tom always has to give us a little personal. I love Tom because we talk about people that spit knowledge. Tom really knows his stuff, uh, yeah, firstly. Yeah. Sadly, I am scared because the Packers, I think, are the most injured team in the league right now. Oh, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Going, going through what I went through last year with the Steelers. They oh, were hurt all, all year last year. Fucking just everyone is out on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I don't want to count my team out, but if I was a betting man, I'd use my head, not my heart. Uh, but, you know, he, he he inquired about a bet, and I'm not going to back away from a bet when it comes to my team. Um, yeah, yeah. got to stick we with got, them. We got the Vikings this week, man. I hope they put a fucking beat down on them. But I have a feeling now the Vikings are going to start rolling a bit, and we're going to get snake bitten by uh, cock photo boy again. And, <laughs> you know, what a fucking downward spiral that's been. But. <laughs> That's another story. I've, I've, yeah, I've often said to you off the air, you know, it's like all of these guys, man, 
<laughs> these guys, man. It's just it's just a matter of where and when something's going to yep. come out. <laughs> it's just yep. you know, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. It's just amazing. It really is. Anyway, uh, uh, all I can say is, uh, being a Steelers fan, I'm having a good year, and I'm having an even better year because the Cowboys are one and four. So anytime the Cowboys suck really badly, I'm always very happy. Sorry, Zom. And and Doc, uh, but yeah. it should be said, you know, I was rooting for the Cowboys as much as I don't like them. Uh, I was rooting for them to beat the Vikings last week, and they kind of shit the bed again. I had no skin in the game there, but uh, I would have been happy with either result, probably. Yeah, I just, I can't believe, I love that they're really shit in the bed. It's it's quite nice. I just, the Cowboys, I always tease my wife, because when I met her, she was a Cowboys fan. She's like, well, they're America's team, and I'm always like, fuck that. Pittsburgh Steelers are America's team. Fuck both of you, man. The Packers. <laughs> See, there you go. See, I think everybody thinks that a certain team is their team, you know? And that's just the way football is, and so, you know. And of course, except, except the Seahawks. No offense to Seattle listeners. Yeah. They're no one's team but <laughs> yeah. Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, but anyway, we're talking about football too much here. Let's just keep yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> we make our feedback section longer than it needs to be. All right, next voicemail. Here we go. Hi guys, it's Christine. Um, it's been a while since I called in, and I had a few things to address. Uh, first of which being congratulations officially to uh, Willie and his clan. And um, you know, the baby's adorable. I stalk your Facebook looking for new pictures of them. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to say is in regards to feedback from episode 102, I guess it was. I think Emily and I are going to have to have a dance battle. Um, <laughs> she'll probably win. But we're still going to have to have a dance battle because Step Up 3D is not a good movie. Not only is it not a good movie, it is the worst of the Step Up franchise. Oh. First one, entertaining. Second one, mesmerizing. It, it's, it's probably the best urban dance movie. Not that that's really a big uh, award to give it. But it's it's like one of my favorite guilty pleasure, air quote, movies okay. and she's crazy and i really might have to get into an argument with her about it and i don't know why i'm fighting with her over your feedback but i am emily we're in a step up fight and uh, i think that's it um because i'm rambling now because i'm really aggravated about this step up thing emily you better call me and we're gonna have to have this out um but that's it thanks guys for a wonderful show i've finally all caught up so hopefully you'll be hearing from me a lot and i will talk to you soon bye all right, the lovely Christine. They just put out issue ten of Paracinema, so I think it's issue ten. I believe it is. So definitely get out and purchase that. You won't regret it. I got to get a subscription. Sadly, I haven't been able to support as much as I would have liked uh, with an issues an issue um, from the issue standpoint. But I think I'm going to have to do that soon. And I do want to say, forget all this talk about settling it on the phone we're all going to be in cincinnati in the queen city very soon yes so i want to see you guys pop and lock i want to see you do the worm i want to see you both drop the needle let's get to it <laughs> gotta be a dance dance revolution machine somewhere oh there is and it's going to be <laughs> iphoned onto facebook very soon yeah. um and also christine if you haven't yet uh, I just sent you a link uh, that you should enjoy. Nice, nice. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, thanks, Christine. As always, thank you very much. Uh, okay. I don't really have anything to add to that other than uh, I have to check out Step Out 2 now since it's actually supposed to be a really, I mean, I won't check it out immediately because it's not really my genre, but, you know, it's a good urban dance movie. I got to see what, what she's talking about there. Wasn't, uh, 
Uh, Channing Tatum in the first step up? I think so. I've never seen any of them. No. But I think I he was. Don't think they really aimed at us, honestly. They're more Piccolo's kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely Piccolo <laughs> film. All right, next next voicemail. Okay, second time lucky, gents. Happy days. Good gear for well for the we one on board. Let me pause that for a second. The reason why he says second time there is he sent one, but his phone died, so he had to call back. So that's what that is. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, been watching a lot of said Lumet or Lemay, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Lumet. You know, um, and I'm really enjoying his collaboration with um, Sean Canary. Um, so the Hill is wonderful. If you haven't seen that, you know another one. Um, the Anderson tapes, another classic. Love it. Watch your fence tonight, which uh, is uh, apparently pretty good too. So it got me thinking about uh, you know directors collaborating with you know they find an actor that they just happy days you know stick with that. So obviously I've got you know Hartzog, Kinski, um, Lamette, Canary, um, Scorsese, De Niro, and, and lately you've got um, DiCaprio. And there's there's loads and loads. You know I, I started with thing on Facebook to see what I can get, but uh, you know if any any sort of um, under underknown or underrepresented ones you can think of, you know, uh, give me a shout. So, time for some plugs. First, let me pause that first and say, Arizal and Mr. O'Brien. Yes, that is the <laughs> duo. Uh, there's that's going to be a tough one to answer. That's all I'm going to say. Let's hear what the rest. Of you, let me hear what the rest. He's got to say first. So, I started a podcast called the Hammockus Podcast. Myself and Mike from the Cadaver Lab. We cover um, Hammer films and Amicus films. Uh, from the 50s, 50s, 70s, 80s, maybe even more recent. And then we also look at uh, other stuff that's got a tenuous link to a Hammer film, so it pretty much opens up quite a lot of other stuff. So, uh, you know, stick that in your earlobe ears and uh, <laughs> see what you think of it. Um, and my time's coming up, so Salty Horror Film Festival. I know you're all going to be at Horror Hound in Cincinnati, but anybody who isn't, they can come to Utah, come to Salty Horror. Uh, it'll be a great old time, and then perhaps next year we can maybe have the, the podcast um, reunion at Salty Horror. Uh, Demon Chaser, I'm looking for judges. Um, to, we're going to make a, a 36, going to make a horror film in 36 hours. Uh, you get a, a genre, you know, subgenres, everything. So make a horror film in 36 hours. If there's anybody who wants to enter, give me a bell. But I'm mostly looking for judges. Everything's going to be available for streaming. You basically have two weeks to judge. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, get a good uh, community spirit on this thing here. So uh, happy days, one and all. Ta-ta. He called back and added a little bit more. Let me go ahead and play that, too, because it pertains to what he just said. So here we go. And um, not just the gents or the extended gents are invited to judge. Every member of the gentlemanians across the world can judge the demon chaser. So, you know, uh, give me a shout. Ta-da. Bye-bye. There we go. I wish I, do I have, I don't have Brian's email available. To give him a shout, <laughs> um, send the emails to us. We'll forward them to Brian. How's that? Yes, there yes. We go, if you're interested, uh, we do have his email, but I don't even know if he really wants me to give it out. I'm guessing he does, but he didn't really give me the email and the voicemail. So you know, it's kind of a tricky situation. Don't want to inundate him with emails from fucking MC Sex. Anyway, uh, yeah, that fucking guy. <laughs> that's a private joke, but a funny one either way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, okay, so director-actor pairings. Large William, hit me. What do you get? I'll give you, th- I'll give you three off the top of my head. Okay. This is by no means a comprehensive list. Mads Mikkelsen, Nicholas Winding Refn. Good one. Uh, Pam Greer, Jack Hill. Nice. Uh, and then I would go with Damiano, Damiano, Damiani and um, um, uh, Jean-Marie Avalante. Oh, nice, nice. That's a obscure one there. I like that. 
Uh, I'm gonna be a little bit more. I'm just rack my brain with three off the top of my head. Actually, you know, Tarantino and Jackson. I do think they work well together. I don't know what it is. Sam Jackson just says his dialogue probably better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, still to this day, uh, Carpenter and Russell. I mean, how can you not? Oh yeah, Carpenter and Russell. Come on, it's almost like Joe D'Amato and George Eastman at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I should have mentioned that one too, huh? <laughs> yes, you should have. And probably one of the most uh, notoriously uh, critically effective ones of all time was uh, Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson. So, uh, yeah, you actually took that right out of my mouth. I was going to say, how about those two? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they did uh, some really great work together. It's like they just worked on the same page completely. So, there's a lot of them, though. I mean, I know a lot of directors fall in love with certain actors, and I don't know if it's so much that they fall in love with the actors. I just think they find it uh, so easy to work with them, you know, and, and uh, you know, you, you become friends. I mean, uh, anybody that's watched any behind-the-scenes stuff, you see these people spend a lot of time with each other. And, uh, you know, I think they become friends. So it's just easier to work with friends, right? At least sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, and you heard the thing about the Salty Horror. Next voicemail. We'll chug along here. BBs. This is Dr. Zom. Dusty Rhodes. The American Dream Daddy. <laughs> I'm at work. Oh. It's almost 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I wanted to give you a call to discuss a couple of things, Daddy. The first is the friends of Eddie Coyle, baby. And uh, I'm glad that Lodge Williams finally got to see this movie. <laughs> um, all right, enough of the American dream, baby. Because I got to get to then. And I want to make sure that you can hear because I'm doing it on the, on the down low. <laughs> yeah. He's ignoring like, his work uh, phone, too. Friends I don't hear that. <laughs> I like Stephen Yates in particular because he's got that gap between his teeth. And he's kind of... <laughs> he's great. Sleazy. As re- he's real sleazy, if you know what I mean, daddy. <laughs> Richard Jordan, I've always liked Richard Jordan, just about mm-hmm. everything he's in. Um, he was excellent in this, looking cool. Uh, Peter Boyle, always liked him too, and he was very, very awesome in this. And I'm just mentioning other people other than Mitchum, because Mitchum is the fucking bomb daddy. Yeah, and uh, I like when they went to the Bruins game, because you got to see Bobby Orr. And you know Dr. Zom is down with the NHL, baby. (laughs) Moving right along to a movie that was equal in scope and deserves a Criterion Collection edition. I would like to talk about Jonah Hicks. What? (laughs) All right. Jonah Hicks. What the fuck? Um, This thing, it had a lot wrong with it. It had a lot wrong with it. Uh, I don't know. I think I know some people do not think Megan Fox is hot. They question her acting ability, but I would bang the you know what out of her. But what the hell was up with that corset? I mean, her waist looked about as big as my wrist, and it looked like she should be in some kind of freak show. Hey, Jonah Hicks. You be coming on now, Jonah Hicks. 
<laughs> what are you doing, Joni Hicks? I mean, Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> and does Hollywood have something against actors that are like over six feet tall? <laughs> I mean, I know Josh Brolin. They say he's he's like 5'10 or something like that. But still, I mean, my God. I mean, you know, let's have some guys that are like 6'3, six, 6'4. Six, you know, some, some men's men, if you know what I mean, you know. <laughs> like in the old days. Um... Michael Fassbender. Um, I did not even recognize him because I really liked him in um, *Inglorious Bastards*. But he was uh, one of the better parts of this. He was a real asshole uh, heel in this. <laughs> Wes Bentley was fucking so horrible; it was laughable. And my friend Randy spotted Tom Wopat, which I did not spot. <laughs> Tom Moving Wopat. right along, How could you ignore the Wopat? Up on here, Daddy. Yeah. Is, uh, wow. Robin Hood, starring Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott in the directing. And uh, this movie got a lot of shit, and I don't know why, because I liked it. I like Danny Houston, and just about everything he's in, he is rock solid, and yeah. he has... He's not in that one uh, enough, though. He has it. I would like to see him in some more stuff, baby. And as Richard, Richard the Lionheart, he was uh, very, very good. I love Kate Blanchett. I think she is awesome. And uh, Mark Strong, I like him a lot. I liked him in Body of Lies, and I thought he was excellent in this. And uh, he is loaded, baby, with charisma, if you know what I mean. Charisma. Uh, Mark Strong is what Andy Garcia would be if Andy Garcia was still skinny and still cool. <laughs> but uh, this is Dr. Dom, the American Dream. To some, to others, a nightmare. <laughs> Gotta get back to work, baby. Hang in there, and I want to save a shout-out to my good personal friend, Mike Inslee. Everybody, uh, he Thank needs uh, a lot of uh, thoughts and a lot of whatever all you other uh, religious people do. Uh, send it his way, and if you can, let's uh, let's get the big guy back on his feet because he ain't feeling too good lately. And uh, brother, I'm thinking about you, and I hope you get well real, real soon because you're one of us, and we want you back, baby. This is Doctor Zom. Zom. Very interesting phone call there. Uh, good stuff. Okay. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, he had a lot to talk about. Jonah Hex. I'll never watch. Me neither. Uh, here's what I will say, though. Michael Fassbender is quickly becoming the most interesting actor of all time. He, I don't even know what his filter is in picking movies. He picks some really weird, well, I don't know. He's, he's going to go on that Ben Affleck road of cash and checks, but it looks a bit. But, but, he, but he still picks good stuff, too. So He does. I mean, some of he, it. like Hunger was really good, and, Fantastic. and, and, you know, and Goris Bass is really good, but then he plays a Nazi zombie in Blood Creek for Joel Schumacher, and then he does Jonah Hex, and and he's in Eden Lake. I mean, he just does, he just, I don't know what his filter is. I don't know, I don't know. He just seems to me like he might be the next coming of like a Carradine actor or something, you know? Just like, you know, just do as many films as possible. <laughs> it could very well be. I think he's too good. I don't know. I don't want to say too good. That sounds pretentious. I don't know, man. I like him a lot, but he's got to cool off a bit, man. He's got to cool it now. Yeah. Well, that's the same way I feel about the other guy you talked about, Mark Strong. Mark Strong is quickly becoming the bad guy of choice. And yeah. uh, he's really, really taking advantage of it, which I understand why he's doing that, okay? But I think he really needs to cool down a little bit. 
cool it right. now. I mean, he really does need to cool down just a little bit because it's like every movie I watch anymore, he's like the tough. <laughs> he's like the bad guy. <laughs> oh, it's true. He's in Sherlock Holmes. He's in uh, Robin Hood. He's, uh, fuck, he's in all kinds of shit. I mean, I really liked him in Rock and Roll last year. Yeah, he was great, man. I like him in that a lot. So, I mean, I, I like him a whole lot. I mean, I liked him in, uh, he was actually my favorite part of Revolver, the uh, Guy Ritchie film everybody hated. Which I think me and you said was flawed, but interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. Yeah, flawed. Terribly flawed, but terribly interesting still. Also, Danny Houston, if you haven't seen The Proposition, Doc, you need to see The Proposition. Danny Houston's fucking amazing in The Proposition, so you need to check that out. Along with Ray Winstone and, uh, what's the other guy's name? Mr. Guy Pierce, one of my favorites. Yeah, yes, Guy Pierce. So, the magnificent jawline, Guy Pierce. Yes. All right, so I'm called back. Gentlemen, I forgot. My last week, uh, I asked a question of uh, uh, if you'd ever uh, remember any uh, major stars taking a shit in a movie. (laughs) And the reason I brought that up, I forgot to give the example that brought that to my mind. I was watching Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid on Comcast Free Instant Watch, and... In the one scene, Chris Christopherson playing William Bonney, a.k.a. Billy the Kid, El Chivato, Billy the Kid, uh, is locked up in leg irons and chains, and he uh, asks Deputy Bell to uh, let him go take a dump after the uh, other deputy uh, kicks his crap out of him while they're playing cards. Got no his innards all stirred <laughs> up. Bill lets him go to the outhouse, and while he's waiting outside, you can hear Christofferson taking a shit, and it sounds like he's got uh, a little bit of diarrhea, a little squishiness going on there, maybe a little mud butt. But, uh, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, clear that up. It wasn't just something that came to Dr. Zom's mind, although some things do come to Dr. Zom's mind when he is taking a shit. Anyway, Dr. Zom, oot. So- oh, oh, they cut off for some reason. I don't know what that was. Uh, yeah, I still cannot think of any scenes where that really works, but uh, whatever. I can think of four off the top of my head. Jesus. The first one I thought of was last week, and then I actually thought about it, thought about it as he was saying it. Right now, the first one that came to mind for me was uh, Danny Glover in the Lethal Weapon moment with the toilet bomb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, one that you're going to regret not remembering, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Okay. I think I know where you're going. Someone's reading a book. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one. A robbery takes place. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, next, I'll say Night of the Creeps, the guy that's got the arm braces. He goes into the toilet. I think he either goes into the toilet to take a shit when the guy, either guy is going to get the girl or he races in there because of the slugs. I can't remember. And the fourth one I can think of. Was there a fourth one? I don't know. It's very late right now. I don't know. That, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yes, yes, we'll leave it at that. It's an interesting topic. We need to get people to call in to talk about that because I don't really... Uh, I don't know if I really ever paid attention to that. I know I love that scene in Unforgiven where there's a outhouse scene. That's really good. So. Oh, uh, Heroes of the East. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Forgot all yeah. about that one. It's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Interesting scene, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking about them falling in that water. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I just keep thinking about that over and over and over again every time I think of that movie. All right, uh, last voicemail. This one's from, uh, I think it's from Jay. I think it's a... Hey, gentlemen. It's Jay in Chicago, or otherwise known as Sleestack on the Twitters. And Sleestack. it's been a while, and I apologize. I, I really wish I could call in more, and I always want to call in more, but it always seems like when I'm listening to the GGTMC, I'm always in a place that I can't really call, like traveling or in my car or whatever. But I've been just really crazy busy with festival hopping and traveling and work and podcasting and writing blog posts for other people's blogs, things like that. But I did want to call in. Uh, I definitely want to, wanted to congratulate Large William on the, the new addition, uh, the new gentleman to his family. That's yes. uh, always uh, great to hear, and congratulations to him. And hope everything is going well with him. And I, I also wanted to call in and and... I just got back from uh, my last screening at the Chicago International Film Festival, which was Rabbit Hole, and it literally just walked in the door like minutes ago. And it's a very, very, very fine film. And I don't with it. It stars Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart. It's just it's a really good drama. It's a really strong drama. It's very good. I wasn't blown away like some of the people out of the Toronto Film Festival uh, were, but I still think it's a it's a very strong film. But you know, I think for me, it's it's you know, I thought it was good. And last week I saw at the film uh, here in Chicago at the festival, I saw the sort of desperation, which is a uh, samurai period piece, which I, I think, <clears throat> I think Rick would really, really dig uh, a lot. And kind of brings me to my question because I, I really like all the, the coverage out of Toronto, uh, the stuff that uh, all you guys have, have done, but you know they. You know the way it's. I, I'm kind of sour on on how Chicago's uh, film festival is handled, and I'm just curious if how things are handled in Toronto. You know, in terms of like Q and As and how they handle that, because at our screening for uh, you know sort of desperation, the directors there he flew all the way from Japan. You know, basically everybody left, and there was like nobody left in the theater, but like a couple of people, and it was really sad. You know, it was kind of depressing, and and I feel like you know it's partly the organizers' fault for not doing a better job. Of, of actually moder- you know moderating that and you know and, and turning the house lights up and getting it started, but you know making everybody wait until like ten minutes credits are over or whatever, and it was just really disappointing and it was kind of sad and I was just curious from your experience like what it's like in Toronto because I don't know that just seems like a much cooler festival. But anyway, that's all for my time. Hopefully, I'll be calling in uh, more often and uh, talk to y'all later on the twitters. See ya. All right, Sleestack on the Twitter. Uh, Jay in Chicago. Uh, okay. Um, first of all, let me answer first here. I have heard good things about Rabbit Hole. Uh, it's actually in the Cold Kid movie I'm actually interested in watching, so that's something. Uh-huh. Uh, that's because that's a rarity for me. Trust me. I did want to see it. It's just numbers game. I knew it was going to get a wide release, so I wanted yeah, to wait till. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got. Yeah, there's just so much selection when it comes to Toronto International Film Festival. You do got to play the numbers game a little bit. Uh, also, he said about the uh, Q&As afterwards. Now, when I was there, uh, you had no trouble keeping people over for the Q&As. As a matter of fact, it seemed like people were disappointed when there wasn't a Q&A. So. Well, they did a good job, and I think I didn't understand when, he, when I first heard the voicemail earlier today. Let me ask you this, Jay. When the film is before it screens, did the, the person who programmed it come out and say, Hey, guys, this is such and such film. I'm the programmer. This is uh, the director. He's going to be here for a Q&A. Because yeah. if they didn't say that and the film just screens, mm. then it's shame on the fucking programmer. That is. They can't expect people, if you mention nothing, for people to wait through credits. 
if you prep it and say, hey, we're going to be here for Q&A afterwards, blah, 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 then, you know, the audience, listen, it's ultimately a personal thing. Um, I know, like you said, Sammy, here, man, people want to see it, right? So Yeah, yeah. The, I think uh, we went to, let's see, how many, now this obviously wasn't this past year. I know you guys saw some Q&As this past year, but when I was up there, we went to 10 movies, and I think we saw a Q&A, at least half of them. I know we had a Q&A, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We saw Mads Mikkelsen and Nicholas Winding Refn. We saw Vigo and the young boy from the road. We saw uh, uh, we saw sk- skinny jeans. Uh, James Purefoy. We saw the Wolf Goblin King. Yeah. Johnny Toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw uh, Bong Joon Ho too. Uh, yeah, we saw him. Uh, I think that's it, though. I think it's where it ended right there. Oh, well, we saw the people that did the loved ones, like the main cast of the loved ones and the director. Yeah. So it, we saw a lot of people. We saw a lot and of it was Corey Ada there for Airdoll? I can't remember. Yeah, he was. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, he was. Uh, he was, and uh, that one actor he really loves was. Mm-hmm, that's right. Uh, yep. That's, that's we, right. I guess it was like six or seven of the films we saw. Yeah. The only ones we didn't see for like the ape and uh, Gaspar Noe had to leave. We were really kind of bummed about that one because that would have been. I didn't expect him to stick around. That guy's kind of too, you know. <laughs> we had to go shoot another film it. probably of some minotaur raping a small child or something. God knows what. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it sounds exactly. kind of crass to say that, but if you're familiar with Gaspar Noe films, you, you, you know, that might happen. That's right. I do know there are minotaurs in a film of his. So, um, so yeah. I mean, now the only other question is: is when can we? Once we get uh, little Braden up and running, now we got to get a photo of these two dressed up like the two leads from Chips. Oh, that's coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, because we already know who Ponch is. I mean, Ponch is obviously Little William because you know he's yes. he's got the mochismo <laughs> right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then, but Braden's got the burns, man. He's destined for for good things. But you know, yeah, I think William is more Ponch. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, nice. I might have to appropriate it for Canadian culture and turn them into Mounties. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. <laughs> nice, the Mounties. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the possibilities are endless now that there's two of them. Uh, like I said, I was trying to get William done up as Bruce Lee from... Uh, oh, you can get them both, the, the, both on a motorcycle and they can do the... Uh, they can do the Ray Lovelock. Mark Perel lived like a cop, like a man now yes. to scale. Yes. Yeah, without me squatting on the back uh, like hold, an asshole yeah, my hold, knees give out. Holding on for dear life, eh? Holding on for dear life, holding holding this fake mustache on with one hand, my gum with the other, and uh, squeezing the bike with both knees so he doesn't take off and drop me on my ass. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so that is all of our feedback. We appreciate everybody calling in. Uh, you want to go through the pleasantries? I didn't go through them last week because I don't have that list, as you might have heard. So I heard that. I was like, oh, no, the list. And, and you're like, yeah, just follow everyone that, we're, uh, that we'll usually mention. I'm like, so. yeah, just <laughs> refer back to previous episodes, please. Yeah, that was good. Um, okay, so as always, Horror Hounds around the corner. Yes. Horror Hound Weekend, Cincinnati. Everyone's going to be there almost. Check it out. Palaver.com. Um, that's where our boards are, as well as all of our sister shows and friends, mm-hmm. or most of them anyway. Um, check out our sister shows. Speaking of such, Show Show and OTC, uh, Family Movie Night, Chinstricker versus Punter, Cinerama. Again, Sir Ian Loring will be on the show. The week after next, he's got a very tasty pick oh, yeah. from a director we've mentioned on this episode. Yeah. Um, NOTLP, Girls on Film, The Hands of Steel episode is up. I got to listen to it still. Uh, the Big Red, I was going to say The Big Red Machine, oddly thinking about baseball this time of year. Well, you think about Cincinnati uh, too, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's, exactly. That's There's the connection. Uh, and thinking about the lack of sleep. Um, yes. <laughs> movie Meltdown, Paleo Cinema, uh-huh. uh, the podcast that dreaded sundown will be back. Cinecultania, V Cinema, 
speaking of oily maniacs, uh, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, Girls, I already mentioned them, Gorepress Gorecast, the Hammockist cast is good friend Brian. Brian, get, send us the uh, website so we can pump that. Uh, Paracinema.net, the authoritative, definitive genre movie magazine. Nightmare Theater, TV, horrorcommentary.com. And then blogs, of course, the ggtmc.blogspot.com is our blog. A number, it's got an all star team writing for it. Uh, like I said, we're going to get up there sooner rather than later, hopefully. Uh, also, check out Pickle Loaf. And these are, of course, all blogspot.com. Uh, Pickle Loaf, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Rach on Film, Chuck Norris Hit My Baby, Death Rattle 13, Heaven's Trash, Lightning Bugs Lair, Naked Eskimo, Big Suck Loser, Funky 16 Corners.lunarpictures.net. Region Incognito, Fist of B List. That's Carl Bresden. <laughs> nice. He is a uh, like, serious like JCVD. That. I like that title. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great title. Uh, and then uh, otherwise, um, omg-entertainment.com. We're going to be covering a really great Fulci Western that uh, Martin was kind enough to send us. But get over there, guys. GGTMC10 is the promo code. Um, they got a lot of great stuff over there. Good prices. Um, beyond that, of course, uh, Podcast Alley, votes are always good. iTunes reviews, friend us on Facebook, join the group, just don't squat on it. Um, Twitter.com backslash GGTMC, Pickle of 10, Bob Free, <laughs> Bob Sneezes, a Freelander. Wow, that came through on the mic too. I hope that don't blow anybody's wow. ears out. <laughs> Whoa. <I'm> kidding. <laughs> Uh, my chest hurts. Large William. Uh, of course, I'm not on there very much. Uh, and that is it. Uh, donate if you want to. Send me your Tootsie Rolls that yes. you, your kids get from Halloween and they don't want. <laughs> Sammy's more a fan of um, Pez, I believe. Yeah. Right now, I'm, right now, I'm a big fan. I'm going through a uh, Twix fascination right now. It's funny you should say that because I never used to be a Snickers guy, and I've been on the Snickers roll lately, man. I used to fucking hate Snickers. I'm the same way about Twix, man. Uh, I used to hate Twix, and all of a sudden, it's like I found this newfound appreciation of the Twix bar. Yeah, man. And same with Mr. Big. I hated Mr. Big. And then, like, my wife and I get into them last year, and, you know, who'd have thunk Twix, Mr. Big, and Snickers in the the Sammy and Willie households? Yes. But, uh, yeah. Um, Delicious. Let us know what uh, what your favorite chocolate bars are. Mine's the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. What's yours, Sammy? Uh, of all time? Uh, all it's time. probably the Hershey's uh, Bar None. Used to be a total chocolate candy bar. I like the Whatchamacallits a lot. So. Wow, coming correct with the Yankee bars that we don't get in Canada. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, the Yankee bars. <laughs> uh, I used to be a big Snickers guy when I was a kid. But as I get older, I don't really like Snickers anymore. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, well, I went the opposite way with the Snickers thing. Yeah. I'll tell, tell you one I don't like. That I know a lot of people are huge fans of, but I just do not like it. And that is the Three Musketeers bar. There, you know what? I'll eat it if I get it for free. Otherwise, no I'll, dice. I'll do the minis, but I will not do a big bar. Do you guys have coffee crisp? Uh, no, we do not. We have coffee. Ooh, we have coffee. So we, we have Heath bars. We have we have coffee esque bars that are good. But we don't coffee have coffee crisp. Is you, good. You, I think you, I might have sent to Felipe actually. Yeah, you actually told me about coffee. I think when I was up there, we were talking about coffee crisp actually. They're dynamite. Dynamite. Next st- time you're up here, we'll get a coffee crisp and more poutine. 
Nice. Oh, the poutine was fantastic. I'm definitely getting poutine again. <laughs> poutine will be more than a one-day thing next time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one day it'll be with smoked meat. One day it'll be with chili on it. Yes. Whatever whatever it takes, I will be a poutine yes. connoisseur. <laughs> it was delicious. But uh, I guess, yeah, man. I mean, we got to do a food cast sometime. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yes, what are we covering? That uh, is the uh, uh, I guess, well, I uh, mean, Halloween episode. What are we yeah, going to be into? You... You probably got an idea what you're covering right now. I really still don't have any idea what I'm covering. I'm just trying to figure it out. So, Go I've been ahead. really torn between two films. Uh, they're two of my favorite horror films of all time. Okay. Um, God, actually, then there was a dark horse I was considering. Uh, I'm going to go with. Ooh, okay, you know what? Fuck it, man. I, I'm. I'm. I think because of a quirk in scheduling, it's a bit serendipitous. I'm going to avoid the one film I was going to pick. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to go with a little Bill Lustig. I think we're going to go with a little Joe Spinell. Ooh. I think we're going to go with the slasher film as far as Willie's concerned. That is Maniac. Oh, well, we can't go wrong there, can we? No. That should be fun. That should be definitely. That, that should be a lot of fun, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. I like that film quite a bit. Um, and and it's it's timely because the Blu-ray just came out. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. God, I'm, I feel like I'm I'm on the spot here. I'm on the spot. <laughs> I'm on the spot. I want to bring something. I want to bring something to the table, but I don't know what I can bring. Um, let's see. I'm trying to look at my log here. Not that log. <laughs> I uh, hope not. <laughs> Yeah. That's a zom move. It's a straight zom move. Yeah, that is a zom move. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure. I'll, I'll out. tell you what. You think about it for one second, then Sam. If you need a second, because I can riff on something for about thirty seconds to buy you thirty seconds. Well, I can edit too, so it's not that big a deal. Good point. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think of something kind of in the Halloween spirit. You know, I want to, I want to stay in that world, but uh, there's only a few that I really like in the Halloween spirit. So uh, I don't want to get in there too much. Let's do. Um, I gotta have something horror like on my roadmap, surely that we haven't take done. It, take a look. I'm gonna mention something then while you look at that. Someone on Twitter asked favorite uh, Henry Silva movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Cry of a Prostitute. Yes. Manhunt. He's really fun in. Yes. Almost Human is actually that's more Million. Um, if you can get your <laughs> hands on it, and if not, shoot me an email. It's one called uh, Manhunt in the City, where he plays a father whose daughter gets kidnapped. Um, what else do I really like him in? Weapons of Death, he's fun in with Leonard Mann. Um, what other ones is he really good in? Uh, he's good in he's he's the thing about Silva is he's good in everything. Yeah, I mean because he's that kind of character actor, right? But uh, you know, coming up with the titles is the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'd say if you're gonna go with one, it might have to be Manhunter, Cry of a Prostitute. Uh, you know what? Let's 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 do on my end. Let's do uh, let's do Richard Stanley's Dust Devil. Ooh, nice, very nice episode next week. Yeah, let's do Dust Devil and Maniac. So that should be fun. Wow, should be interesting. In- instead of an oily maniac, we're going to have a dusty maniac. <laughs> yeah, the dusty maniac. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I was looking through my DVD collection this time around, and I uh, saw the Dust Devil five disc set. Very nice. So I was like, that's where we'll go. I'm excited. As you know, I've never seen Dust Devil. So. Yes, yes. I think you'll like it. I think, well, you know, we'll find out. We'll see. All right. So uh, I'll just leave all that in. That wasn't that bad. Entertaining no. podcasting. People a little peek behind the scenes there. <laughs> we should have found a Scott Shaw Halloween themed film, but maybe next year. 
<laughs> well, they, <laughs> but judging from the covers I saw, they all look Halloween themed to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he likes to wear hammer pants too, which makes him that much more of an awesome samurai. So, absolutely, and double-breasted leather jackets. <laughs> he does the typewriter while he's doing the sword thing. All, all that. <laughs> All right, so that is everything. Uh, let me get the outro music queued up, and we'll get out of here. Let me see here. All right, well, I think I got it. <laughs> I love how professional this show is toward the end. All right, I guess I will say adios. Adios. And it should play now. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 